to let roll off our shoulders, they mean so much more because we haven't built up that armor through challenge and austerity that we had to do in school. Like on a mile run, if you're not in shape, you come out the other side of that, your first mile run as a kid being like, man, I did something. I, I had to go through pain. I had to go through discomfort. Right. And you right. grow from that. And once you start taking that away from kids, they don't have those growing experiences. And then, and then they're, they're faced with, challenge in real life and they just don't know how to access that next gear to deal with it and it's a shame yeah. like it's such a, it, yeah. and it's and also along also along with that is like the removal of taking out arts as well so now they don't have that creative mind to deal with some type of challenge they don't know how to create a scenario that they can put in their mind like okay how do i take on this challenge well let me see let me try this, this, and this, and then vividly create these things in their minds and then project that out into the real world. They've removed that now. So now you've taken away that athletic ability to manifest what you've had in your mind. When you remove those two things, that creativity and the, phys the physicality to manifest that creativity, now you're, you're heading down a very bad road, and that's what, what, what has happened now. So now when everything is so about books, books, it's like, you know, let's just talk about math. Let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about this. Let's just stick to the studies, studies, studies. We don't have time for any type of physical education. We don't have time for any arts, no music, none of this stuff. We don't have time for that. We need to just take all these standardized tests and, you know, and just focus on science, math, and history, and, and all these other things. It's like, come on, dude. you got to give these kids a break. And you start the first thing, like, as soon as they walk through those school doors, it's like, let's get right to work, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, all the way into like sometimes for like some kids, four or five. So now they're pretty much clocking into a job and pretty much you get a short lunch break. The lunch breaks are getting shorter and shorter. And it really doesn't even matter how short those lunch breaks are, because the food that they're giving them is not going to help them refuel and, and, and get ready to go back in and, you know, get a nice reboot from, you know, the first half of the day, it's actually going to drag them down even more. So then now they're getting malnourished on top of that. So and then you you got to wonder, you sit there and you wonder, like, why they act the way that they do, why these, you know, Generation Z and all these kids are acting like this and they're so entitled and they don't, they don't they're not contributing anything. It's like, dude, you're wearing these kids out. You're wearing them out and you, you've trained them to be this way. You are you're Dr. Frankenstein right now. This is the monster you created and you need to accept the responsibility for it and start making changes after you make that, after you accept their responsibility. You say are the problem too, because a lot of parents don't push themselves physically. They don't understand the value of pushing yourself physically or thinking artistically and in a creative manner. And then they, they, they squash those. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in an environment of, of encouraging the arts or the importance of physical fitness. You know, that's something, those are things I developed on my own, just thinking outside of box. And I will say this, I, all the LSD experience that you, I did LSD maybe five, six times when I was a teenager. And at the time I, I wasn't doing it for any higher purpose. You just wanted to go through this fun trip, hallucinogenic experience, but it changes your brain in terms of the way you see things, it changes your perception of reality. And what that allows is you to see things that other people think are crazy that would never fucking work, but you can see it working because you're not thinking like they are. You're not thinking in this vanilla, plain mindset. Well, following the rules, you know, because, hey, that, you, know, you got to do it this way because if you do it the other way, then you're going to be a degenerate because, well, who said that? Well, they say that. Who the hell are they? You know, you don't want, <laughs> you know, if you want to be respected, you got to be this way. According to who? 
Well, they they said that. <laughs> you know, who the hell is this mythical group of tribal people that are called they? Where are the they tribe? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's like I get so sick well, of well, it. Man. As as humans, what makes us what kind of makes us where we are in in the universe in this world is that we have the physical and we have the cerebral too. We're 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 able to think creatively and think outside the box and right. and we have to have both things going and and our society definitely seems to be leaving the art and the athletics on the table. And it's, it's not the best of us. Those two things make us the best we can be. Well, that's how we've created everything that we've created. All the great things that we've like given to society and, and just, you know, mankind alone came through the physicality and the arts, man, you know, to my, yeah, there was some science involved, but guess what? With all that science and math that was, you know, revered or whatever else centuries ago thousands millennia ago without someone being creative in the first place to sit there and think of a pythagorean theorem or whatever just to, to be so crazy and out there that you could actually conceive you know the, these mathematical formulas and then be crazy to try to move them around with some objects and then try to put those objects together like hey you you understand pr- pretty much the dude that thought about the pyramids you know how many people are probably looking like, dude, you've lost your damn mind. He's like, nah, man. He's probably spoken some hashish, and he was like, nah, man. I'm telling you, we can build these <laughs> these triangle things, and we can put bodies in it, and they'll last forever, man. Trust me. So I saw this because you know they had some good drugs back then. <laughs> you know, it was a lot, a lot pure. Pure shit. Yeah. Exactly. But, and here but, we are today. They're still the Hindu, the Hindu mythology is clearly from people that were influenced by some psychedelics, just the level of outside thinking, the, the level of introspection, philosophical points. You don't get that from, from leading this, this straight edge type lifestyle. Two things happened. Either people were taking some serious hallucinogenics or there were aliens that came down. It's like, which one are you right, taking? But it's, uh, I mean, science, science is really, if you really think about it and distill it down, down to its origin, it's really nothing more than codified art anyway. Like if someone comes up right. with a wild out of the box idea and then slowly but surely they, they, they start to realize what this thing is and they look at it and they break it down into a format that can be taught. And that's science. But it always right. starts with a pretty wild, almost out of the box thought that leads us to right. something that we can right. use in our society. I mean, yeah. even something as an airplane, like that's a wild fucking idea. One point, oh, yeah. someone we're gonna fly. I mean, that's, <laughs> that that even that taking it further, <laughs> even go back to Da Vinci trying to do it by himself. You know, just putting putting it on his feet and trying to fly with that. You know, so then the Wright <laughs> brothers like, dude, we'll take it even further. To my, we'll put some people in it. To my, we'll put both of us in it, not just one dude. And to my, yeah, we'll take it from there. It's like, okay, especially at that time, it's like, okay, all of you dudes are high. What is going on here? Can you imagine just having to deal with someone like Da Vinci by today's standards? They're probably like, this dude, you know what, we have to check him in. Are you on your meds? Have you seen a, you know, have you seen a therapist for what you're thinking? You know, people like that wouldn't be able to thrive in today's society now. They just wouldn't. Well, we're different. We live in a much, much more um, structured system now, you know, where, where if you were to, if you were to try and invent some kind of new machine, you would need so much, you'd have to go through so much red tape and legal loopholes to get permission to do it. It would never get off the ground, quite literally. Right. 
And if they don't understand it, they'll they'll find their way to like shoot you down and ridicule you. I mean, look at Elon Musk. You know, <laughs> you know he's out of his mind until actually you know a first rocket X goes up into the air. And now NASA's like, hey, hey, you work with us, <laughs> work with us. I just yeah. wish he would advertise that a little bit more. The first time I saw one of those going up, I thought we were yeah. being invaded by aliens. <laughs> I saw that thing in the sky. I was driving down the street, and I was like, it was like one of those moments. Where I'm like. Am I really seeing this? Is, is this? It's it, it, it's happening. We're we're being invaded, and I, I prefer. Where's Will Smith when you need him? Will Smith, where are yeah, you? Yeah, we're <laughs> making movies for grown-ups these days. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> whatever happened a big wheelie weekend, Fourth of July. You should be able to hang your hat on that. The big Will was going to put out a action movie classic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kids. That changed everything. (laughs) Let's start recording and then. Uh, I'm already, dude, I'm already recording. This has been a good conversation. (laughs) We started talking about the kids, man, being stifled. So we, this is another one of those situations where the conversation was so good and here we are 30 minutes into it. I'm like, dude, this is like a lot of good stuff. So I know people wonder, like, well, I mean, you should already know who we're talking to because if you look at the show notes or look at the title, you know who we're talking to. Yeah. you have to introduce a guest when you're, you're the reason why you're clicking on the episode is because you know who the guest is. So why do we have to tell you who it is? Like it's some kind of surprise. Like, oh wow, I didn't realize he was on the show at this time. Now, unless you're blind and listening to the show, then that's a little different. But you know, just... <laughs> you, you'll, you'll catch on eventually. You'll realize. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, like one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is. You're in a band and you tour the world, but a lot of people don't know that you're a fitness expert as well. You're an instructor and also it's just an advocate, an enthusiast personally. So let, let's talk. Let's talk first about your. Let's let's talk about your regimen right now. What kind of fitness regimen are you on right now? And then we'll talk about your nutrition and then get into the instruction side of what you do too. Well, well, for a long time I was just doing body weight strength training primarily using rings as my main piece of equipment. And that was just based on the pragmatic point that I travel a lot. So right. it was really hard for me to, I mean, occasionally I'd be able to get into a gym on tour, but it was really unreliable. So I would just, I basically right. found out that I could stay in pretty good shape just using, you know, pull-up bars, you know, construction sites, body weight. Um, but recently I just signed up for a Spartan race. So oh, my cool. training has... There's nothing like signing up for an event to kind of tighten you up a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh and so my trainings had to to adjust according to that. Like I had to be honest with myself like I sprint and I walk. When it comes to like <laughs> that shit in the middle, you know like running for 5 miles, not something I do very often. So I've had to start right. doing a little more of that stuff, a little bit more kind of you know, um, brachiating like monkey bar stuff that I wasn't doing a lot more loaded carries that I wasn't doing. So it's actually kind of nice to give myself a, um, an objective like that. It's kind of tightened up my training and given me a, a, a place to take it rather than just, you know, trying to stay healthy and look good naked, which is, you know, valuable goals, but sometimes you need a little more to, to give you a kick in the ass. Yeah, looking good naked is good if you're actually planning on being naked with someone. But for most people, <laughs> right, exactly. naked to post on Instagram. I mean, uh, and that's the yeah. wrong motivation. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's like you know, like I'm forty, forty five years old. Uh, both, you know, I've seen my grandparents and my parents, and I've seen what aging, you know, 
what aging oh, can yeah. be. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, 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 I train quite a few older folks as well. And I, I see what neglecting your physical vehicle could do if you leave it, you know, you don't stay on top of it. And yeah. it, like, it's kind of scary actually, you okay. know, that you could spend, you could spend two, maybe three decades in a body that doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. funny. And like, like, I, I, I want my dick to die at the exact same time the rest of me dies. <laughs> so that's a big motivator too. Like I want to make sure that I stay virile and energetic and, and all that stuff forever. You know, I don't think that's an, a bad goal to have. It's not a shallow goal. I think it's a sensible goal. I think, I think right. it's the, the goal that every human being should have to be, you know, what is the old saying? Staying as, stay as young as, uh, to die young as late as possible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, me and me helps with that too. So if you're looking to make your, your package as healthy as possible for a long time, you hear that folks go to me undies.com use <laughs> coupon. <laughs> no, they're not one of our like, sponsors. Like, 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 it's like, it's like we live in, we live in a society where we're so comfortable that if we don't force ourselves into these situations of austerity, which the gym is an excellent opportunity to do, to do just that, we right. become fragile. We become fragile and, and, you know, you, you want to be unbreakable. You have to push yourself a little bit. And that's huge for me. Like, you know, yeah. I like to be uncomfortable. I like to do things like, you know, take cold showers. I like to fast. I like, I like to, you know, sleep on the floor every now and again. You know, I think these things are really healthy for us as people to do. So training is, it's, training is huge for me, but it's a, it's a part of a much bigger kind of philosophy. Right. In my life. You know, I think that really helps. Like we were just talking about, like with the bully and all that. The thing is, there's a lot of these people have not faced in any type of like adversity. And when you do things on a daily basis that make you feel quite uncomfortable, it will make you very uncomfortable to try to make someone else feel uncomfortable because you totally. get it. You understand it. You have that empathy and you understand, like, you know what? This look, man, a cold shower really, really sucks. So you're not going to sit there and look at someone homeless under a freeway in the middle of winter and say, this bum, and he comes up to you and you're somebody's bum, get a job. You know, you understand like, look, man, a cold shower sucks for me. I can imagine what a 29 degree windshield factor feels like under the freeway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you so you have a little bit more empathy that way. But when you sit there and you're a nice central heating and air all the time, it's a lot of, and with your windows up and your heater on in your car, you, you know, it's so easy for you to sit there and look at them and like, oh, look at this bum. Man, all he has to do is just go get a job, man. He doesn't have to sit out here in the cold instead of just actually wondering what his story's like. But you're already judging him because you you haven't really faced any real adversity yourself. So, no, it, so. it breeds compassion. Like, like, like yeah. suffering breeds compassion. They, they right. come kind of together, you know, um, especially if you have any shred of introspection in you at all. Right. You know, when you go through something, when you go through something challenging, whatever it is, hopefully you come out the other side better. And that could yeah. be that could be as microcosmic as a workout or something much, you know, bigger, like, you know, like a disease or, or you know, the death of a loved one. But these are all tools we can use to develop ourselves on a holistic basis and i think i think exercise and and those kind of controlled austerities are the safest most accessible way for most people to do it and i think i think as a society like the more of us take that stuff seriously the better we'll be across the board you know the, the less we'll let the little things bother us yeah yeah i have a friend who's in his 40s he's around our age and he's a cancer survivor full recovery and he you notice with him that things just fall off his shoulders. 
little problems that people get really irritated about. This guy right. is always very calm and cool. He doesn't get flustered over stupid stuff. He's not going to be a guy that espouses road rage or just loses his temper. In fact, he's, sometimes he's a little bit too calm for his own good because he's got these dogs that are not the most well-behaved and they're always off leash and they're running at people. And he's like, and these people are like, get your goddamn dog on a leash. He's like, yeah, dumb, 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 dumb. He's like, oh, it's okay. No problem. They're friendly. <laughs> he has perspective. He has a real right. well perspective on things. Right. He's like, let the dogs right. be free. They shouldn't be on the, you know, he's thinking like, you know, why are we putting them on the leash in the first place? They should be able to be free. That's our problem. We keep ourselves on leashes and, and, and then everybody's afraid of you. But then look, <laughs> you know, so. So, yeah, it's funny. Right. That's an analogy. I use that analogy all the time when I'm when I'm when I'm talking to client, clients. It's it's if you had a dog and you didn't exercise your dog, you'd be a pretty shitty dog owner. If you didn't let your right. dog get out, I, mean, I know, I know people like that. I know people like now watch the dog. Stuff. But guess what? If you don't let yourself out to play, if you don't exercise yourself, you're a shitty human body owner. Right. 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 And it doesn't take as much as a lot of people think. Not everyone has to do what we do in terms of intensity. If I always oh. tell people, I, I look, I do three mile walks every day with my dogs without fail. And we live in a really hilly area. So there's a lot of big hills that you're walking up. So it's pretty good workout. It's not something that you're wiped out afterwards, you know, if you're in any kind of shape, but it's good exercise. Now, if the average person just did that, and then maybe they did some push ups, some pull ups, some other body weight squats nothing major, maybe some sprinting even, they would be in really good shape. In fact, they'd be in better shape than 90% of the people who go to gyms. 100%. It's easy, easy to do in terms of application. It's also easy not to do because people are lazy. They're watching four hours of TV what? a day, five hours of TV a day. They're eating junk food. I, I, there's a guy on my street, right? This guy drives his car to the mailbox because it's one of those central mailboxes that we all share. Yeah, yeah, to get his mail. Yeah. But he drives to it. And then he's too lazy to even turn his car around. He goes in reverse all the way down the street. Because this guy's flying back in reverse. Like, what the hell are you doing? That's how lazy this guy is. It's literally a 20-foot walk. Now, so imagine trying to get this guy to walk three miles, one mile a day. He can't even walk to the fucking mailbox from his car. Tragic. Tragic. Yeah, that is crazy. <laughs> and to me, just speaking from a from from a male standpoint, men should be strong and fit, so that you avoid trouble and you can protect the people in your life. Right? That should be something that you, as a man, naturally have a drive for. That's a hundred percent true. We yeah. shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to inspire guys to want to be strong and fit. I shouldn't even have to explain why that's a good thing. That should be <laughs> something that you inherently want to do. And you just it's need like to know the old, how to do um, George Herbert quote, um, be strong to be useful. You know, the stronger you are, there the more it is, right there. there it is. And that, and that's the reason why so many people are not useful because <laughs> they're not trying, they're not you doing anything to be strong whatsoever. People, you know, and just be like, listen, like you're going to be fucked for like 20 years. You know, you're not going to be at a, you're going to wish you had done these simple little things now rather than later. Right. Um, it might right. be too late. You know, it's, it's, it's tragic, man. People don't take this shit more seriously. Like they have a financial planner, you know, they, they maybe they, ha I don't know, they have various other professionals to help them, but they don't take care of their own health. And if they can't do it by themselves, then, then hire somebody, but get your shit together. It's important. If you don't have this, you have nothing, nothing. Um, that's my rant guys. That's my rant. 
Yeah, but even that puts you in a bad situation because if you're not taking care of yourself physically, even by having all these other people do things for you, like a financial plan or whatever, you don't have the strength or the fortitude to even keep an eye on them. And that's why so many people end up getting robbed right before their eyes by these so-called experts who are supposed to be on their team, you know, their accountants. Right. Or, you know, their CEOs or their vice presidents of the company or their, I mean, you know, just like Mike, um, you know, at the time we were recording this, Stan Lee died like yesterday. And I remember yeah. I said Mike's story, how the very people around him, like Stan Lee in his last interview that he did with the Daily Beast, he was just talking about like pretty much the people around him were, you know, they were betraying him. You know, and it even seems like it came down to even his daughter was doing the same thing. He's like once his wife died, he really seemed like he had no one around him to keep the vultures away. At that point, or he had no one to defend himself because his wife was gone. So he in swoops his daughter and the freaking, I think the producer, whatever, NCIS, all, all these people, these handlers now coming in. And there's quite a few other people. They're just pretty much robbing him blind right there, man. And even that interview is so creepy because they're they're pretty much controlling whatever he says. And it kind of sucks for someone because when you think of Stan Lee, you think superhero, you think comic books, you think this dude that wrote all these universes of all these strong physical and mental beings, you know, whereas, you know, pretty much there was no real superheroes there for him. You know, he made a lot of bad, you know, choices or whatever along the way. And again, just he didn't have his own like super like force of people to stand up for him as well, man. So it, it gets really bad. It gets really bad when you think about that. <clears throat> and, and and you put all your everything into the hands of other people and you don't have the strength of fortitude to keep these people in check. So that's another reason why, you know, doing something physically on a daily basis, man, it gives you that fortitude to do that. You're a lot more sure. You can look people like, hey, man, nah, you're confident. That's the biggest thing about, you know, if anything to take away from doing just being physical is just to be confident and, and no matter what, man. So yeah. there's so many people that wish they could say go fuck off, but they just don't have it in them. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. They don't know where to where to dig deep and, and get that. So they keep it inside. And then it keeps building up and building up and building up. Then they explode, man. Something finally, there's a tipping point. There's that straw that breaks the camel's back. And they, and then it goes in the wrong direction. And the wrong people catch hell for things that had nothing to do with them because this person should have addressed the real issues for, who knows, years, months, decades. So next thing you know, you're, you're getting shot up or beat up or, you know, screamed at or, you know, you know, getting road rage for this dude who had an issue with his ex-wife. From 20 years ago, he never, and he never stood up for himself, and you never met this lady, but you're catching the ass whooping for her, <laughs> you know. So that's you inherited you inherited the beating. Exactly. <laughs> but it, but it, it's 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 like we hear this phrase all the time, like you know, mind over matter, mind over matter. But in my experience, it's the other way is easier for most people. Actually, if you get your if you do something physical or get your physical body in order, your mind tends to elevate. It's a little oh, bit yeah. easier to do it that way for the matter to lead the way. Um, like I have, I have, um, a couple of clients over the, over the years that have had depression issues and, you know, they've been on medication, et cetera. Once they started exercising, getting fresh air and getting out there, they were able to get off their meds just by, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't some, some, you know, it, you know, complicated periodized Soviet program. It was just do something, get out, do something. And they felt more human. They felt better. And they realized that, you know, that the fix was never, never, it was never difficult. They just needed to take that one step right. that people don't take. Yeah, daily walking, yeah. I think, is that that's the one recommendation that I think is, is as long as you can, as long as you're healthy enough to walk, you're healthy enough to go walking every day and build up a baseline level of fitness. 
I mean, I don't even count the three mile walks that I do every day as part of my exercise regimen. No. <laughs> to me, that's just that's, my, that's part of my meditation I exercise. Of anything, that is the difference. Right, right. Oh yeah, it's hot out here. Out here, it's hard to do three mile walks because it's so hot, even in the middle of the night. So you tend to cut it down. But once it cools off and you're able to get that back in your regimen, you realize how important it is, how much you missed it. Okay. Just get to the like, mind, it's, man. It's, get out in the fresh air, the sun. And that's yeah. the thing about it, man. Where it really comes, even if you can't physically walk, even just getting outside, because that's what we were put here to do. That's how we made it this far, by being outside, not being stuck inside all our lives, man. You got to get out there. Just You got to get recharged from that sunlight. You know, you, you may not get all the vitamin D when the sun is out, you know, because we're wearing clothing. Because, look, to truly get the, the benefits of vitamin D from the sun fully, you got to be pretty much damn near naked. So Dude, I can't, I can't most naked people can't do that. <laughs> most people can't do that. <laughs> Because it's illegal. <laughs> vitamin D just from sun exposure. And right. a lot of people need a lot more D3 supplementation than they realize. And vitamin D is not even a, it's not even a vitamin. It's a hormone. It has a lot yeah, of effects. Yeah, exactly. exactly. On growth and yeah. immune system and testosterone production, a lot of things. So it's yeah. important for both men and women. And I, I, I get quite a bit of sun exposure walking the dogs here, going sprinting. And my vitamin D levels were really low, below the normal range. And when I took 5,000 IUs, it got it into it got it into the normal range, but not into an optimal range. Optimal range is 60 to 80. So it wasn't until I took 10,000 international units for about three months and got retested that I got into that optimal range. So that's and some people are like, oh, that's a big dosage. I, yeah, it is a big dosage, but I know what my numbers are. I'm not just taking it and hoping for the best. I'm taking that amount because I've used measuring methods to determine what's the optimal amount for me. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I was reading, I saw a, it popped up on my one of my feeds, uh, like a new study that said that fish oil and vitamin D supplementation probably didn't work. That was the headliner, like fish oil and vitamin D supp supplementation kind of disfunct. And when you looked at the article, they were supplementing with one gram of fish oil and they were supplementing with 1000 IUs of vitamin D. And I'm like, that's right. not enough to really yeah. make an impactful difference. Like, this headline is so disingenuous. It's it's such. Well, then you, you got to look at who did the study. You got to look at who did the study and what, what was the real motive for that study. And so why they why would they use such a low dosage at the same time as well? So but that's I, another I thing. Like, a lot of study. How many people don't read don't read the study? They just read the headline. And then of those that actually read the article, how many people understand that that's what they're reading? Such a right. tiny dose of both would almost be in even the question. People doesn't really understand what they're saying because most people misinterpret studies as well. So a lot of times people are looking at someone else's interpretation of a study and then they're just repeating that. If you actually go look at the study, you'll, you'll realize that the person's interpretation was flawed, was erroneous as right. well, because it's easy and very intelligent people often get it wrong too. So it's not it's not always easy. Now the thing also well, is that to read, are they? Yeah, vitamin D3 is not a high enough dosage, and then you got to take it with vitamin K as well to get the maximum right. benefit. So there's vitamin minerals work in conjunction with each other. Just taking one not isolated nutrient. Exactly. Is the only time they're even talking about them independently is because they're trying to sell one independently. You know, like, oh, you got to have your calcium. And what else? Well, you need more calcium. And what else? It's not like I just have a bone, okay? It's like I got other things in my body functioning that are dependent on these bones as well. So, well, how do I address the rest of them too and what they need? Oh, well, uh, uh, uh. And so th that's the thing. So, again, it comes down to what are you trying to sell me when you pick out this one thing? 
when you isolate this one thing. People always talk about calcium, but bones are 50% magnesium as well. I never hear anyone exactly. talk about magnesium. No one talks about magnesium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, both are equally important. Calcium is important, but it's not difficult to get a lot of calcium from food. So supplementation is, unless you've determined a deficiency, unless your diet is really good and you still have a deficiency, it can cause more damage than good. It can cause calcification. It can cause your arteries to become calcified. So, that's, so you have to be careful with that kind of stuff too. So, I mean, there's, there's two problems that generally happen. You have one who say all, all supplements are garbage, and that's wrong. And then you have other people who just take everything without everything. the they need. Right? If you do a spectrocell blood test, it, it measures all the vitamins and minerals and amino acids on a cellular level. So whatever you're deficient in on that test, that's what you need to be concerned about. What you're not deficient in, you don't need to be concerned about. Where would you get one of those tests? Just spectracell.com, and then you'll find a local practitioner. Someone has to run the test for you. But there are practitioners everywhere. I did it a long time ago. I did it at Mark Phillippe's gym, 2010, and everything was good. I think there was one B vitamin, not B12, but B6 that I was low in. So I started taking B-complex, and I've been taking it ever since. A lot of people are depleted in B vitamins because anytime you're stressed, you start depleting B vitamins. And who isn't stressed, right? You work out hard, it's a stress. You have any kind of, you're trying to achieve any kind of goal. It's, it's a good stress, but it's a stress nonetheless. So you get, it's easy to be depleted in certain things, B vitamins especially. Yeah, yeah stress, stress is definitely, I think, I think for a lot of people, stress is the silent killer. You know, everyone's focused on diet and exercise, but I think right. stress is, is, a, is definitely like a, like a huge factor in weight loss and obviously in longevity as well. And I think it's something a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the reasons why you're focused on diet and exercise in the first place. You know, you using exercise to manage that stress, and right. even the exercise itself is causing a different type of stress. Most people focus in on diet because when they're stressed out, they eat or they don't eat. You know, it's one or right. the other for a lot of folks. You know, that's another thing that people always want to talk about. Like people always focus on so many so many areas. Focus on when you get stressed out, people overeat. I know quite a few people when they get stressed out, they don't eat. Even when I yeah. when I get really really stressed, the last thing I want the last thing I want to do is eat. When my mm-hmm. when my dogs are sick or whatever, just even that when they're sick or whatever, they don't want to eat. And so I'm not even yeah. trying to force them to eat because I'm going by what nature's telling them to do. They know better than anything. They're not sitting there watching some stupid TV show, reality show, or watching the news or reading something on online that tells them how they should feel when they're sick and what they should do when they're sick. Nature's telling them what to do, and that's why I get a lot studying my animals teaches me a lot. I see how they deal with things. And I'm like, they're healthy. They're way healthier probably than the majority of humans walking around here. You know, so I remember, I'm going to remember my dad would have diarrhea. My mom was always trying to feed him. It's like, why do you want something to eat? I was like, mom, he can't hold anything right now. The last thing you want to do is feed him anything. But they were still they're like, oh, he's going to starve. I was like, he's not going to starve in 24 hours. It, which is, should be all, all it takes for this to pass, you know, literally and figuratively. And I go, plus he has enough body fat to last a lot longer than 24 hours if necessary. But the mind people have, right? They're sick and their appetite shuts right. up. Like, oh, I give them some my strength up. It's like, no, just go with the feeling. If you don't, I mean, if you feel like eating, sure, eat. But if you don't feel like eating, why for, food doesn't taste good when you don't feel like eating. You ever notice no. that? It could be it's something. Dog, you when you're just trying to force food in, like, okay, it's 3 o'clock, let me eat something. It's not going to be enjoyable. Appetite is the best spice to, to make your meal taste better. Right. Yep, 100%. I actually actually just did a seven-day fast. Um, yeah, I think on, on, on social media. 
two months ago. Oh, yeah. and I, huh? How did that go? The seven day fast. I I loved it, man. It was my it was my fourth extended. I did three five days over the last few years, and this one was seven. Honestly, I don't think I'll do seven again. The last two days kind of sucked <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think five days is a sweet spot, you know. Um, I dug it though. Like I blood tested every day. I I was balls deep in ketosis by the morning of day three. Felt awesome, and it was it oh, was yeah. actually really. Really easy once you get past day two. It, it's kind of right. easy. But yeah. Right. Day six and seven, man, you just miss food. Like it's it's such yeah. a joy to like the you know right. the taste of it on your lips. And ever since then, even like the even simple things have have tasted like I've I've been cherishing like a blueberry. You know, it's just it's it really puts things in perspective again. You know, not having yeah. it and then eating. Yeah. Um. I think most people should give it a, you know, try it every now and again. It won't kill you. Like, just take a yeah, day man. away from me. Hell, even just like, you know, he wants to talk about fast, and that's a good start right there. Just just going at least 14, 16, you know, 16 hours, 18 hours without food. You know, just, if anything, do the one thing, drink water. Drink water, especially for so many people who are dehydrated and don't even realize how dehydrated they are. You know, do that. And then you realize a lot of times when you think you're hungry, you've actually like, oh, all the time I've been thirsty. I really wasn't hungry. You know, so and you and you probably be surprised what you let out in the bathroom too when you do this too. Yeah. Because so, you're now finally getting your digestive system a break. It's like finally this six minutes a day fucker finally eased up on us for a little while. And now we can do our job. I pooped on, on day five. I was like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> but it yeah, is interesting because people people are, are very unfamiliar with hunger in in, yeah. in society. Like they just we live in we live in the opulence even the most poor of us enjoys in, in the developed world is off the charts compared to any other time in history. Right. Like you, uh, unless you're in the absolute worst of circumstances, you can eat something whenever you want to eat something, you know, and you right. can drink water whenever you want to drink water. Um, right. And so even artificially, yeah. take that away from yourself a little bit, I think it's healthy mentally and physically to do. I think I've done three day fasts before and I was I wasn't able to keep going because I was at my parents' house at the time. My brother and his girlfriend were there and there were I was watching this movie just trying to try to get by kill some time, not think about it because I was still hungry at this point. But they, they kept on eating. They would come down with snacks and then go back upstairs, get some more, come back down. All all I'm hearing is munch, 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 go back upstairs. I go, I need to get the F out of here, man. <laughs> And I'm sure the sound. I'm sure the sound is amplified when you're hungry. So that crunching gets a lot louder when you when you haven't eaten in a couple of days. Exactly. For real, for that kind of fasting, you have to be about it. Like I have to, I had to make sure my wife was out of town when I did it because I'm right. going to be kind of, I'm going to be kind of a dick. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and you know, I definitely, definitely, I, I do think like trying to do it in like regular situation in quotations is is pretty challenging to go to go that deep. Um, yeah. So I, I did. I did this time. I tried doing ex- exercising while fasting, not not training, but exercising, like swinging some kettlebells, mm-hmm. get ups, nothing too crazy. And I found it really helped, like keep appetite at bay, like being active, as counterintuitive as I thought it would be, actually really made things easier rather than yeah. you know, making hungry. Oh yeah. So there's, 
we, we, we've learned that like Mike and I've taught courses where, you know, we didn't eat, you know, pretty much it was an intermittent fast, whether we want to call that or not. So pretty much we didn't eat to like that evening or whatever else, but there's just no way I can even teach, you know, if I've had something to eat first thing in the morning or anything like that. Actually, I'm more on point when I've had nothing pretty much but water. You know, I may have like a little coffee, maybe on those, on those days like that. But now I don't teach courses. One thing I always make a point to do because I pretty much like to give myself about a 14, 16 hour window, you know, between meals. And one thing I love to do right within the last three hours before that, um, that first meal is to actually exercise. So, and it's, dude, it just, it's, the exercise itself feels way more on point and way more like, I feel like I'm so in that moment. I'm not telling myself, okay, you need to focus. It's like, I pretty much have no choice. There's really nothing else going on except my body's like, we're moving, we're lifting something. That's all we're doing. I'm not digesting anything. I'm not trying to break anything down from last night. I'm not trying to get over this. And even the sleep gets a lot better as well. Everything, everything's a lot more, everything's a lot clearer as far as when you do things like that. So, and I think we, we pretty much, we over medicate ourselves with food. And you'd be surprised, just like even with medicine, when you kind of cut back on it, how much more clear that everything is once you cut back. And so, and no, people don't think about that. Like food has become a drug and so many people are addicted to it. They're so addicted to it. It's just like it becomes this thing. You take it away from them, they may lose the shit. <laughs> you know, they get, oh, I'm hangry. I'm like, uh, no, you're greedy and you need a break. That's what that is. It's not, you're not hangry. <laughs> so. So for those of us that are used to going long stretches without eating, and there's definitely many benefits of that, every once in a while, switch it up. Try that five to six small meals a day for a couple of weeks because your metabolic rate is going to go through the roof. Yeah. You're used to your, your ability to digest food is, is been amplified from the yeah, longer right. stretches. You've improved your leptin sensitivity and insulin sensitivity so that when you have a more consistent caloric intake in, you're just going to get this heightened metabolic rate. Eventually, your body adapts, and then it's it's no longer beneficial. But for a couple of weeks, and then you you kind of need you, you you need that, that switch up like that. It's funny because um you know Mike and I and I was going to tell you you know eventually we're going to do a show on um I like to do a show talking about the the Ronnie the Ronnie Coleman documentary that's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And it was yeah, just so funny when Kevin Lavroni was talking about, you know, Ronnie coming in and asking Kevin, like, hey, man, how do you do it? You know, you, you keep placing high and, you know, how do you keep doing it? He's like, man, I'm Ronnie's like, I'm sitting up here, you know, I'm doing everything right. I'm working out constantly. I'm eating all the stuff, blah, blah. And Kevin's like, I drink vodka, you know, before I do a show. And Ronnie's been like, I don't drink. <laughs> he's like, he's a like, man, try it. Just try it. And so, you know, he's like, I don't know, man. I've never drank anything in my life. And so he's like, man, just try this. So eventually, you know, Ronnie takes a shot of the vodka and then he's like, oh, he said, this tastes like it tastes horrible because he's never had alcohol before. And so he, he's like, well, he have another one. So he took another shot of vodka and then he took another shot. Then he started kind of loosening up and he started to relax because he was somebody that was so regimented with his programming. So he pretty much you could tell he probably stressed out about it. So he started to relax after he started taking more and more shots of vodka. And then eventually Kevin had him eating pizza. So, of course, now, the night before a bodybuilding contest, this sounds like this is not what you do, right? <laughs> but this is what worked for Kevin all those, you know, all those years. So then the next morning, you know, Ronnie walks in, you know, right before the competition, and Kevin looks at him. He, he just, Kevin just said he looked at him. He's like, he just knew, like, he's never seen Ronnie look, first of all, so, like, flat. I mean, not flat, but just, like, so, like, lean and defined. After a night of drinking shots of vodka and eating pizza, he said, he said I have to, I have to think that for the fact that Ron is finally able to relax, 
and, and do the opposite of what he had been doing. It gave his mind a break. And so it was able to let his mind and his body connect and do whatever he needed to do to get him ready for that competition. I think he ended up, he either won that competition. Or he, I know he, he beat Kevin. <laughs> so it kind of sucks that he beat him at his own game for the most part, but it really came down to just doing the opposite of what he'd been doing because I think so many people become those orthorexics where they, all they do is focus on, I got to make sure I'm eating healthy. I got to make sure I'm eating healthy. I got to work out every day. I got to work out every day. And they think that's healthy. They think that they're leaving a health, leaving, leaving, excuse me, living a healthy lifestyle by doing that. And it's just the opposite. It is, it puts you right in the same category with the person that sits on the couch all day eating chips and hot wings and watching freaking Breaking Bad marathons and then watching the NFL ticket all weekend long. You're right there with them at the same time. And you can't tell these people that. That would just like break their hearts because they think they're doing something. They're, that destroys their virtue signal. When you say something like that, man. It's, it's so. like people that get obsessed with working out on vacation. Like, if you're going on vacation, eat shit, <laughs> yeah. oh, eat shit and sit on the if you If you've spent the rest of the year doing the right things, enjoy yourself. You've earned the right, you know? The vacation. Right. If you're on vacation for a week, you can stay active. Go swimming, go hiking, whatever it walk. is that you enjoy. <laughs> The last thing I'm going to do is go, okay, how am I going to incorporate my deadlifts and squats while we're over there? <laughs> while I'm on a cruise. <laughs> you need a break from that stuff even when, let's say, I've been doing this high-frequency deadlift program, just modify small up, and it's working really well. Now I'm now I'm in a peaking phase. So what that means, I'm not going to deadlift four times a week. Now I'm going to take a week off, come in, go for some PRs, and do that once a week for a while, and then go back to high-frequency. So where I'm going is, that week off, you can time it perfectly into a program where you take that week off that you would have taken anyway, and then it's going to be even more heightened because you're on vacation. So right away, you're going to be more relaxed. You're going to be in a better recovery state, and you're going to come back mentally refreshed, ready to go. Right. Yeah, that that that's what I used to I, – I started doing before tours. Like I would just grind in the gym hard, hard, hard before tour, and then I would go on tour and just – what happens happens you know if i get a workout in cool if i don't cool it's just real like like sometimes life just there's there's times where it's just better off to just give yourself a break you know and it's not like you're gonna forget what you did you know when you go on this break it's not like you go on vacation for a week and when you come back you've forgotten how to deadlift now it's not like you've forgotten how to squat it's not like you've forgotten what program you were doing you know two weeks prior to that it's not like you go and you take a an amnesia vacation where you go and get your brains zapped or whatever else you come back you're this totally different person and if you are you don't remember that you were fit and healthy in the first place so there's nothing to worry about (laughs) you're good the only thing i've noticed the the one thing I've noticed that's very, very significant when I take like two or three weeks on tour and come back is grip. For me, my grip just goes to shit for like a week before yeah. I get it back. Yeah. Grip seems to yeah. be the thing that goes fastest. At it's least in my experience. Yeah, it's more of a central nervous system type thing because yeah. the grip needs to be worked often to develop there's a mind grip connection. So yeah. let's say you go several weeks without working at all, that that's, there's going to be some deterioration there. It'll come back fairly quickly, yeah. as I'm sure you've noticed, but you may feel a little off. I noticed that, too, with something like deadlifts. I did a squat program where I didn't deadlift for a couple months, just focused on the squat. And then when I started deadlifting again, my groove felt okay, but I noticed that the grip was really weak. It took a while to get that grip strength back. It's just kind of reprogram those proprioceptors again, you know. Those, right. You just get them to connect and just like, hey, you're supposed to be holding on just a little bit tighter than that. <laughs> and where they were like, no, out of necessity, fight or fight and try to protect you, like, nah, 
something's tearing our hands apart. I need to protect you. I need to let this go. That's what they're, that's their natural thing to do. He's like, oh, this is not safe. So naturally wants to let something like that go. And your mind's yeah. like, no, nah, hold on to it. So they need to communicate together once, once again. They've kind of broken up. He's put the band up a little bit. Yeah. I'm the guy that opens the pickle jars in this house. I need a strong grip. <laughs> I'll tell you why I've noticed that helps grip a lot, especially with deadlifts, is higher repetition deadlifts heavy. I've, I've never really done set to nine or seven. Usually I don't even go as, as many repetitions as five, but recently I've been doing nine, seven, five. And especially at the nines, whether it's a trap bar or a straight barbell, your grip strength gets better pretty rapidly for obvious reasons. You have to hold on to it that entire time. And also weighted ring pull-ups. Those are great for the grip. And Christian Thibodeau talked about just hanging off of it on the last rep for as long as you can. A little things like that have made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Grip is in the weak link for me where the bar is about to come out of my hands if it's too heavy. I've never – usually it's, it's something else that's the problem. But I've noticed that if your grip is stronger, you're way more confident. You're more locked in. When, they, when yeah. you feel the bar just sliding a little bit, that's, you start thinking, oh, I better finish this rep quickly before the bar falls yeah. out of my hand. Before I drop it, yeah. <laughs> So you, you've been doing a lot more trap bar work, I see. Yeah, I have a trap bar at the house. And for this program I've been doing, modifying a high-frequency squat program for deadlifts, for the days where you do sets in seven and nine, it made more sense for me to use a trap bar for that because I want to get it. It's just easier to stay in a good groove. And I'm getting a good leg drive, which carries over to the deadlift. Both exercises carry over to each other. I think the barbell deadlift carries over more to trap bar than the other way around, at least for me personally. But the trap bar still carries over to the deadlift in a meaningful way for me, the leg drive. The leg drive is what gets you from the floor to those first four inches, just right below the knee. Because if you don't have a strong leg drive on on deadlifts, you see it with people when they try to rip the bar off the ground, and the only thing that goes up is their ass and the bar. The bar is an inch off the floor. That's someone who didn't have a good leg drive. Trap bar really helps with the leg drive. And I always say trap bar is a leg exercise with back assistance, while the barbell deadlift is a back exercise with leg assistance. Yeah, I see that trap bar helping a lot more with squats than than with, you know, a traditional deadlift. Because it seems like with um, doing a conventional deadlift tends to activate, you know, a lot more with the upper body as well, with your back and your traps, getting them engaged, where, you know, it gets all that activated at the same time. With your with your legs, you know, with your hips. With the trap bar, it seems like it's an afterthought when you start talking about the upper body. It's like the last thing to come into come to the party once you've done that lift. Whereas, you know, when you're doing a conventional deadlift, you pretty much everything is engaged. Yeah, it's like the power meter shoots from the ground floor on up, but it just seems like I mean, it's all one nice flow as far as that. So it's like going from you know, it's going from ankles, it's going you know the hip drive, it's going to the upper back. And then you're finishing off right up there with, you know, with the traps. And whereas with the trap bar, it just seems like it's, it's more broken down like a Rubik's Cube. It's almost like, you know, like, okay, here goes, here's your legs, here's your hips, here's the back, there are the traps. Now put it down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially, I think, because you got your hands by your side compared to right. having your hands out in front of you where you have no choice. Like, you need to engage everything to get that bar up in a conventional deadlift because that bar is in front of you. Shit can really go wrong if everything's not engaged. Trap bar, you can kind of get away with it for a little bit before everything kicks in together. Yeah, by having your hands to yourself. I think it's a little bit harder to break yourself with a trap bar. You know, yeah, if you're not a yeah, serious. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you, you definitely 
definitely can still mess up your back. I have before, but it's it's much more difficult. It's much it's, it's way more forgiving than a barbell deadlift can be. There's tricks to both. I'll say this. I, I hadn't done trap bar in a long time, and then I bought this really nice trap bar. It's 80 pounds. It's this huge device. And my trap bar was stronger than it's ever been without doing the trap bar from all the barbell deadlift work I've done. Right. And now the trap bar has gotten, I mean, I was still stronger on the barbell than I was with the trap bar initially, but now the trap bar has surpassed the barbell for a lot of the reasons that Sincere mentioned. You're able to get a more efficient drive. It's easier to stay into the groove. It's actually your grip is, it's actually easier to hold onto the bar from the nature of how you're holding it. And then it feels like a standing squat in a lot of ways. Yep. Yep. The way yeah, the yeah, way. And I, I feel like it helps more with squat than, you know, than conventional deadlifts. I mean, still a place for that. But and, and one way that really, when we're talking about grip, you know, one thing I used to love to do with the trap bar is just like also, you know, once you've stood up with that bad boy, it's to really, you know, start walking with it. You know, start doing yeah. farmers' oh, yeah. carries yeah. with that bad boy. That's like yeah. the best. You know, and it also, I like, like doing the farmers' carries to say like with, kettlebells you know it's, it's really easy to get a little sloppy and let them flop around or whatever else but with that right. trap bar it keeps you really in the pocket it keeps you in that where your arm should be it keeps your armpits as clo- close like they should be for the most part you're not just throwing your elbows out and chicken winging you know like you could probably do with kettlebells and and you know, once those kettlebells are kind of flopping and once they somewhat touch the side of your knee you know there's that part of you just trying to protect you it's natural for you to want to throw your arm out and get that kettlebell away from your body you know so you don't take your knee out and then everything right. kind of just flops and goes really bad from there. So, um, so that's what I do like about doing the farmer's carries with the trap bar because you're just in that position. There's, there's no flopping around or anything else because if you swing that trap bar, it does not feel great. And there's something about you, you pretty much lock that sucker back to where it was really quickly. You realize like this is not how this is supposed to be. And I, I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I've definitely found when it comes to coaching people that it's a lot easier to get them doing a decent-looking trap bar deadlift than yeah. it is to get them doing a decent barbell deadlift. Like, I'm almost oh, yeah. at this point, it's it's the for the barbell deadlift, is is pretty rare that I'll have people do it unless they're, like, naturally good at it. Because the trap bar, it just seems right. people just kind of figure it out pretty quickly. You know, just put them in there and, and you know, a couple of coaching notes and it's pretty good. I think even from a psychological standpoint, for the fact that they're sitting inside this device, it kind of gives them like this little feeling of safety. It's like they feel like they're kind of inside something that's going to protect them compared to that bar yeah. just being free to roll away. And they're my thinking like that bar might roll away or snatch my arms off. And they've watched too many Saturday Night Live reruns where Hans and Franz and then they lift and their arms tear off or whatever else. You know, they come up with all these different scenarios in their head. Whereas with a trap bar, it's like, first of all, it also it looks interesting because it's not something that you just see everywhere. And then once they get in, it's like, oh, I actually stay in the same place. I, it doesn't make me move forward as, you know, what might happen with a barbell. You know, and then if it's moving forward when they're lifting it, their natural reaction is try to snap back. And then if it's too heavy, that's when they have to deal with the reality. Like, you can't, you're not strong enough to make this thing snap back the way you need to to protect you. And then they end up having to drop and it rolls forward. And that's just a little too, that's a little too much for them, for someone, especially who's just starting off. And like you said, it's not. No, naturally gifted with that. So I think that trap bar provides a sense of security because it seems like everything's going to stay right there inside that little phone booth. That's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think for beginners, it makes more sense to get them good at Romanian deadlifts where you start the bar at waist level, not off the floor. So you just unlock it, push your hips back, lower the bar, slightly bent knees to the floor, tap, stand up, because that's a lot easier to teach. It's not as technically demanding. 
as ripping a heavy weight off the ground, dropping your hips at the right time, pulling the bar off and so forth. But then you have to ask yourself, what are the goals of the client anyway? I mean, if you're not going to compete in a powerlifting event, then who really cares? Unless it's a personal goal of yours. Like, I'm not competing in powerlifting either, but I have a personal goal with the barbell deadlift. But a lot of other people, they don't, they don't have personal goals in terms of, in terms of what they can lift or performance goals. They're, they're, they want to improve their physique. So if their goals are physique composition goals, then who really cares about the tools you use? Use the ones that are going to be the easiest to implement and learn. 100%. Yeah, it, it definitely. Like, and I think, I think for most people, that's, that's true. Like, I don't know. For me, I, I don't see too many people that are trying to be powerlifting competitors. You know, it's all just make me feel better, make me look better, and make me live as long as possible. So Yeah, most, most guys. Either. Most guys, most women really don't care about how much they can live. Most guys don't either, though. Like, I just want to look good. I want to look good on the beach, man, even though they don't live anywhere close to a beach. You go to the beach once a year if you're lucky. You they live in Nebraska. Oklahoma, you're worried about how you're going to look on the beach and maybe the one time you go there in the next five years. You guys there? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my computer just made a weird, weird noise. Um, yeah, man, that 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 seems to be the the ultimate goal for most people. You know, looking pretty good, and and we can they can get there any number of ways. You know, they don't need to get get too crazy and too technical to do that. Well, I would say if people went sprinting and did pull ups and push ups, you're going to look better than most people who go to the gym and do mm-hmm. complex red. Now, I'm not saying that's all you should do, but if that's all you did do, that's not bad. I think sprinting might be the 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 the, the difference that makes the difference. Oh yeah, yeah. And for people, it doesn't have to be an all-out run. That's the other thing people don't realize. They go, "Well, you know, you can get injured doing an all-out effort." I go, "Well, first of all, most people aren't in good enough shape to do an all-out effort anyway." They think they're doing an all-out effort, but they're not recruiting enough muscle fibers, and their technique is not there, so it's not an all-out effort right. anyway. So just my attitude is don't even think about sprint. Just do a run. It may even look like a jog. Go do 10 100-yard runs or even 50-yard runs. Don't worry about going as fast as possible in terms of 100% capacity. And then just well, build it up people, you know, don't come on. Don't try to run as fast as Usain Bolt. Everybody. So what you need to do is try to run as fast as you can. <laughs> you know, and that when I say that, that's an asterisk, meaning run as fast as you can safely. Without yeah. without putting yourself in a bad situation, you know where you can get injured. So you know, know know where your capacity is at that moment, and that's what that right. comes down to. Like, don't try to do, don't sit there and put something in your head of how it's supposed to be when your body's going like, yeah, but that does not pertain to us, dude. So don't even think about that. So don't think that you know you're gonna do some sprints today and then you think you're gonna qualify for you know the 2020 Olympics, you know, next week. It's not going to happen. Dude, you're not you're not even going to qualify for the Special Olympics in a lot of cases. Okay, so you just need to calm down and just, you know, start where you are and be happy with that because you're starting. And most people won't even do that. So that's all you need to focus on, man. People need to give themselves a little more credit. Most people are a lot harder to break than they think they are. Yeah, I have no idea. People think, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get injured. If I do that, I'm going to get injured. Probably, in most cases, truthfully speaking, probably not. You probably right. won't get injured. You know, you just, just so don't don't be such a worry wart. Like you're, 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 most people are way more durable than than they let themselves think they are. And they use it as an excuse to not do anything, and 
that's, well, that's because they're, they're confusing injured with sore. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about, yeah, you're going to be sore. You're going to be sore because this is not what you normally do. And even if you normally do it, then you need to take it up and, and you know, add a little more intensity to that. And you're going to be sore again. That's how that works. But just because you know, I always ask people like, OK, are you sore or are you injured? <laughs> there's, a, there's a big difference. Like, oh, man, my my hamstrings hurt. I think I hurt my hamstrings. I'm like, all right, can you bend over touch your toes? Can you touch your knee? Can you can you bend over, period? Can you walk? Yeah, well, yeah but I, I'm feeling it in my hamstrings. I said, yeah, that's called soreness. It's okay. You'll live. <laughs> There's no need to go and, and try to cash in your insurance for the year on that one. You're good with that. So yeah. That's what happens that when you do something that you're not normally doing. The best thing for soreness is to work out again. <laughs> right. If they hit squats hard on Monday, they're like, oh, I can't walk. They don't realize if you did squats again, it doesn't have to be as heavy. But if you just did it again, you're just going to flush it out, and you're not going to be as sore. It's almost like that whole hair of the dog <laughs> philosophy, right? You have this hangover. Yeah. You have a little bit of alcohol yeah, exactly. that gets rid of the hangover. It's a little yeah. bit like that. So people have people oh. have the wrong – like, oh, man, I'm so sore. I'm just going to I'm just gonna lie down for the next couple of days, and now you're really going to tighten up. You're going to be even more inflamed than than you would be. And forget about just even going and squatting again. Go for a long walk. Go do some body weight squats. Go do some running. But stay active where you're going to flush out the lactic acid and yeah. the inflammatory markers and so forth. Yeah, See, very true. Very true. Yeah, but the thing about sprinting though is that if someone's 100 pounds overweight, I'm not going to recommend they go sprinting for a variety of reasons. I mean, they're probably going to, I mean, they're going to be bouncing around so much their stomach, they could knock themselves out with their own stomach <laughs> as fast as possible. So let's, let's also, I don't, one of the things I always hated about the biggest loser, and there's, there's so many reasons why I hate that, but the, the main one is that you're humiliating people, right? You're just trying to denigrate people. You're just beating people into the ground. I go that the whole thing is ridiculously irresponsible. And then people watch and think, okay, this is what I have to go through. And it, and it isn't. So if you're really overweight, we don't need to lift weights or go running or go sprinting. First thing we're going to do is we're going to go walk, and we're going to go walk a mile every single day without fail. And when we can do that, we're going to go two miles. When we can do that, we're going to go three miles. Then we're going to start doing some mobility stuff. And, and while we're doing this, we're going to clean up your diet, which is you're going to start dropping weight like crazy. We're going to optimize your sleep, your restoration. Then let's start doing some mobility work. Then let's start loading you up with some weight training or body weight training and so forth. Now, this is not something that's exciting to watch. You can't make a TV show about this, but that reality TV is not reality in what's going to work. No, that, especially for the what, what, what you're saying is absolutely the way to go for, for someone that's really truly deconditioned and out of weight. I think that's the best strategy. Like you have to approach it from a holistic perspective, make sure they're getting the sleep, the nutrition, the exercise, not even the training yet. Just get out right. and move. Right. And then, you know, right. as they get closer and closer to that ideal body comp, then you can start injecting, like, the sexy stuff. But it's definitely right. not what people need, most people need out of the gate. That's for sure. Yeah. We're going to do heavy deadlifts. You're 100 pounds overweight. <laughs> we don't need to do that right now. Let's focus no, on. We'll, we'll up a hill. Yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely, definitely, um, those shows are definitely a little, a little hard to watch sometimes, you know, especially with I've the whole the type mentality and some of the trainers humiliating the people. I'm not, yeah. not a fan. They're trying to be a drill sergeant too. It's like, look, if I wanted that, I would join the military. All right. Exactly. I don't need that. I don't need some exactly. idiot screaming in my face to do something. Uh, you know, we, 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 a little bit more passion in the game. Bad. 
I was telling these guys at the park, I go, we've all been given a lot of bad advice. And one of the worst mantras is no pain, no gain. And what it should really mean is if you have pain, there's going to be no gain. And if you're injured all the time, there's not going to be any gain. So this notion of if you can do five reps and number five is the last one you can do, stop at three. You can, now you're going to have the ability to train more often. You know, leave a few reps in the bank. This is Pavel Sotsalin is known as the kettlebell guy who repopularized kettlebells in America. But the most important contribution he made is leaving a few reps in the bank, not training the failure. That's really a difficult advice for people who love working out and pushing themselves. But it's, it's those last few reps where you're going to be most injury prone, where technique's going to break down. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty much a cornerstone of what I do in my own training. Like I, I never right. go. Right. You know, I never got to that point of, of even close to failure. You know, I want I want the last rep to look as crisp as the first rep. And, and I'm happy to walk away with it in the bank so I can live to fight another day. Right. Charles Poliquin would have a no count philosophy. So once the rep, once the technique deteriorated, it was no count. So don't even bother doing them because we're not going to count it. You know, it's not going to be recorded in your journal. You did five reps of good technique. And then you did two sloppy ones. The two sloppy ones don't count. So don't bother doing it next time. And I think that's that's a good philosophy. It's hard to get that ingrained in people because this bad advice has been just been passed down. People yeah. really believe that if, if you're not suffering immensely, if you're not pushing yourself to the ultimate limit, then you're leaving something behind. And, and going back to that documentary, since you talked about the Ronnie Coleman documentary, it was really disheartening to watch that because his body is totally beaten down from all the years yeah. of 800 pound squats and 700 pound deadlifts, powerlifting and so forth. But you know what the most ironic part of that movie was? Of course, they didn't bring it up, is the fact that Ronnie Coleman was a police officer for most of his Mr. Yeah. Olympia career. Yet, at the yeah. same time, yeah, he was juiced yeah. to the gills with every illegal substance you could imagine. So you have to wonder, okay, this guy's out there arresting people during the day. It's like, oh, sorry, sir, you have marijuana position. We're going to have to arrest you. Then at the same time, at some point during his day, he has to go to his dealer and get his illegal. Now, he should be arresting this person, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, you know, don't let this one slide because I need these drugs to compete at the highest level. Of course, I wasn't discussing the doctor. Did, did, they, did they discuss that in the doc? Did they get into the anabolic use and stuff? No, no they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't touch that at all, which, which is – that was, that, that was disappointing. It was funny, for an hour and a half, like, that was never mentioned at all, whatsoever. I was just yeah. like, wow. It's one thing I always appreciated about Louis Simmons, right, the legendary powerlifting coach. The first interview I ever read with him, and this is way before the Internet and so forth. I mean, the Internet existed, but it just wasn't proliferating the way it is now. He talked openly about steroids. Like, what's your stance on steroids? He's like, oh, I've been using steroids for 20 years. I use this, 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 this. And I never heard someone be so open about that. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. So that's awesome. like it. Uh, yeah, whether, whether you're a opponent or proponent or you don't care, the fact that he was that honest, he wasn't trying to say, oh, it's just my training system for why I'm so strong and why all my guys are strong. He's like, no, we all use. We don't compete in tested organizations and we all use anabolics. And we wouldn't be able to train 14 times a week if we didn't. So his training methodologies obviously still have merit, but you have to take all that into the equation when you try to follow those principles if you're a natural athlete. But the fact that he's so honest about it was good because now people know that up front. They're going, okay, this isn't the only reason he's strong. You still have to know how to train, 
but it's definitely an important reason for why they're strong. So you it's need to take that. Into- sure. that's, wow, that's, that's, big- that's great. But he's the only one that I've ever, I've never seen anyone in the bodybuilding world and until way after they haven't, maybe way after they stopped competing, that was open. I remember I talked to Franco Colombo about it one time. He's like, he's actually a chiropractor. He still practices in Brentwood. Really good chiropractor, good physical therapist. And I asked him about anabolic use and he said that he and Arnold would use maybe four or five weeks out from an event. And the dosages they used then would be laughable compared to what they use now. It was more part of the peaking phase. Now it's what Dorian Yates used is considered conservative. And Dorian Yates was a monster, not only in his time, but even by today's standards. Now guys look at that and go, oh yeah, so we use way more than that. So it's, but they don't, they don't talk about it openly. So when people buy, a lot of the magazines lie too. I remember reading at one of the muscle and fitness magazines when this really crappy movie came out solo with Mario Von Peebles. He plays a fucking Android or something like that. But anyway, his workout regimen was or his alleged workout regimen. I don't believe for a second that he could do that workout. It was 315 bench press, five sets of 15. Five sets of 15 what like a fuck. If you can do five sets of 15, that means it's nothing. You're just banging out reps. Right. Goes, my ass. This guy's 5'9", 165 pounds, and he's bench pressing 315 for sets of 15. He would be, he would be the, the, the record holder in the bench press at that body weight if he could achieve that. And then years later, I, I, mean, I didn't meet him, but I saw him in Santa Monica. I was like, no, no fucking way <laughs> that guy could even do it once, let alone 15 times. So these magazines are just lie. They just, they just make up shit. I mean, it was probably a regimen that he probably didn't do anything close to that. For, and then like, there's look, another dude. one where LL Cool J was in there, and he's like, oh, yeah, I do overhead presses with 120-pound dumbbells for sets of 10. I was like, bullshit. <laughs> but if you don't know better, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna read this crap and be like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really weak. You know, these guys are so strong. Yeah, that, most of them, they're not even saying that. They're not even saying that. That's the editor saying that for them. You know, these guys no, showed up for the, right, they right. showed up for the photo shoot and the fake weights, you know, whatever they're like hollowed out or whatever else. Like, look, yeah, look, well, Mars, man, them. people. I saw, I saw New Jack City. I saw Posse. You're not listening <laughs> 315, 15 times, bro. <laughs> like, there's just no way. Well, people that are young and impressionable are not going to know this. So they're going to be sitting there reading it going, oh, man, you know, I've, I, I have a long way to go here. I, I didn't realize these guys were that strong. It's like, no, they're not that strong. And, yeah, you, you, you do have a long way to go, but let, let's put things in perspective here. You know, there, there's people that are way stronger than you, but not this much more so. If you Look, yeah, if you that's, can, that's, 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 that's a little, little bit of a freakish claim, that one. Yeah, if um, you can do seated right. overhead presses with 120 pound dumbbells, you're gonna look like you can. You know, you, no one's gonna be surprised. No one's gonna be like, oh wow, you know that guy's 165 and and doesn't look like he's that strong, and he was banging out overhead dumbbell presses with 120. I, I didn't see that coming. No, it's like when someone can bench press 500 pounds, it's not a surprise. They look like they can bench press 500 pounds. Right. So there's there's sort of, I mean there's there's a few exceptions, of course, to some of this, but not too many. Not if you're doing sets of 15. <laughs> right. Like it's yeah, nothing. I think, I think Almost like a, like a warm-up weight. This is like, oh yeah, exactly. Five sets of 15, nothing. It's like, okay, let's yeah. see a video clip of that. Yes, yeah. exactly. Post that on Instagram, Mario. 
Yeah, I know you still have the VHS somewhere. You can convert that VHS to digital now. We can see it now, bro. Listen, if I did that, that would be my – I would just post that on Instagram every day, all day. Oh, I'll have a T-shirt. I'd have a T-shirt with it. Hashtag 315. Yeah, you want to talk about being narcissistic. I would make sure people know that. I'm not going to do that without documenting it because I want people to know I can do this. Cat, you know? Well, well to, to, to be fair, if you put a camera on someone, usually they get about 35% stronger. I think science has shown that. If, you, if someone's videoing you with a cell phone, you get stronger, like automatically. It's I'm the sure same that's, pathway, that's the same pathway that makes you stronger when you work out in a gym with beautiful women. You get stronger. I don't know how oh, it works. Sure. I was talking about that with a friend of mine. It's so true. That's 100% true. And you can, you can use that. So sometimes people, instead of wasting time hitting on the girl in the gym, just use that energy to get a better workout. Put it into whatever you're trying to do and just knowing that you have that natural proclivity. But you're right about being filmed. Because sometimes I have I have a clip filmed. I go, okay, let me just – I'm feeling pretty good today. Let me just have someone film this clip real quick of me doing deadlifts, and I'll post this later. Just knowing that it's being filmed and that I, I don't have to post it, but that's the plan. Just knowing that that's going to happen, you dig deeper. So that that's you definitely 100% true. You just, and it's a good it's coaching tool, too, for yourself. If you're someone that works out by themselves, like these videos, oh, yeah. actually really useful. Yeah. Very yeah. useful. Yeah, very useful. I, I did that. I, I filmed my trap bar deadlifts every once in a while, and, and that allowed me to accelerate form improvement pretty rapidly because you would catch things. You go, huh, I didn't realize it looked like that. Okay, let me make sure I do this. Let yeah. me make sure I drop the heads. Let me make sure I pull the chest up right before I rip the bar off the ground, et cetera. Make sure I, I lower it under control where one side's not hitting the ground before the other. You know, little things that you pick up on. When you're filming, yeah, that's definitely I, I found it inv invaluable. You know, so, sometimes what you think you're doing and what you're doing are wildly different things. Oh yeah, a lot of times, a lot of times. Sometimes I've done stuff where I go, man, this feels great, and then I film and I go, man, that looks like shit. <laughs> you know, I, 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 was, I, I was like, hey, I, I didn't think it was look like that when I was doing it. <laughs> I want everything I do to be good enough to post. Now I'm probably not going to post it, but at least I want it to look like I could if I wanted to. <laughs> I think I think posting is something. I think posting training clips is good to do every once in a while. If you do it too much, then you're way too thirsty. Like, okay, let me get some more validation today. Say, hey, check this out. Oh, here's what I did yesterday. Now check this out. And I think it's it, it can become a little bit too much to a point where people get numb too, but they don't care. Like, all right, here's another training clip. Big deal. I just watched. I just I just watched the last ten you posted in 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're waiting for you to fail, then there are those that want to watch everyone waiting for you to make a mistake, so they can troll you on that. So like, they can, like we were put, about, put their troll uniform on. Like we were yeah. talking about before. Before we, I think before we turn the the tape on, if you post it yeah. on your stories, it's fair game. Um, if you post it on regular Instagram, well, you better get ready for the trolls to come out because there'll be right. someone that points out how your spine was ever so slightly rounded on the deadlift and now you're awful and a horrible person. Um, <laughs> and all that stuff starts to happen. So they pretty, much, they pretty much know that comment is going to be there forever unless you delete it. And then they're going to talk about, well, why'd you delete my comment? Whereas it's your story, it's leaving in 24 hours, whether you like it or not, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so and any, like, anything you have to say, you will say directly to me via a, via a direct message. Exactly. There's no audience. That's coming right to me. That's, that's how you do it. Yeah. That's when you're actually genuinely concerned for the person. You send a private message, say, hey, I watched this. Here's a couple of things I would change. That's what I, I mean. I, it's rare that I even do that. But if I, 
if I if I saw you post something, Adam or Sincere, I would and something was off, I wouldn't get on your public page and state that. I would send you a private message saying, "Hey, look good effort. Here's what I would change," and do it in a way where someone's not going to get into a defensive state either. But like you said, a lot of that a lot of that is just virtue signaling where they just want to put their authoritarian hat on. Oh, you're doing this wrong. And a lot of things, a lot of times also with someone who doesn't even understand what they're watching because exactly. a slightly rounded back is going to be there with certain body types no matter what. That's just what's going to happen. Now, someone who is much shorter, it's going to be less pronounced if the technique is right. So it's Bob Peebles. This guy was 165 pounds and he could deadlift over 700. And he would purposely use a rounded back. He didn't even bother trying to keep his back straight and so forth because he felt that was a waste of effort. He's like, I'm just going to let the bar pull me down into a certain area, and I'm just going to rip it from there. And he never had any back injuries or anything. The guy could deadlift 700 pounds at a body weight of 165, and this is in the 1950s, way before perform. I mean, performance enhancement existed then, but not at the way it does now. And this guy was a farmer, so it's unlikely that he was loading up on a lot of substances. And if you looked at his physique, it wasn't anything overly impressive either. And his upper body strength wasn't even all that great. I don't think he could even bench press over 200, but he could deadlift. 700. He was just so good at that lift. And he found a technique that worked for him. And not only would he let his background, he would blow all the air out. Instead of most people, they, they breathe in and then hold it, brace their stomach. Right. He would blow all the air out and then rip the bar off the ground. <laughs> he wow. found that that was impression. That, that was his take on it. And it worked for him. Now, someone else may try that and it doesn't work for that person. And then they think, oh, that's all bullshit. It's like, no, it's not working for you or you haven't given it enough time to work. You know, you're trying to you're trying to use your maximum weights the first time you ever use this technique. You have to dial it back and build back up if you're going to play around with it. But it may, it may not work for you. It worked really well for him. And he wasn't Bob people's never said everyone should be doing this. He was just stating here's what works for me. And it's undeniable that it worked for him, given the performance he had. I mean, some, sometimes the left field answer is the one that works, right? I mean, you had Dick Fosbury in the Olympics who, who completely changed the high jump. Everyone was doing the scissor jump, and he did the the one that we see now, and it, it was the first guy to do it, and now he completely revolutionized the sport. So right. we may not have figured every, the right way to do everything out just yet. You know, there may still be better ways to do these things that we have yet to discover. That sounds a little wild, though, breathing out the air. Um, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I- it a couple of times, not with heavyweights, but it, it felt awkward. It, it definitely felt awkward. So I think I think the key, though, is that the, the technique that you find that works for you is probably going to be a conglomeration of many different things you've learned from different people. As you take a little bit like, OK, let me take this one tip from Mark Philippi. I'm going to try this one thing from Bob Peoples. And then here's something that I've just figured out from my own experience. And it's going to be that that's going to be what gives you the best effort. It's not going to be trying to replicate someone else's technique 100%. Oh, the, the old Bruce Lee idea, you know, um, absorb what is useful and add what is specifically your own. Right, right, exactly. And that applies to everything. That, to everything we, that we do, I think well, that's a, a good life. You figure out these kind of things. You figure out, okay, here's what works for me, and no one can tell me otherwise because I've been doing this long enough to know this is what's going to work. Like some people, when they deadlift, they want to they like, okay, squeeze every muscle in the body and really tighten everything up. That doesn't work for me because I can't move the bar fast if I do that. So my attitude is I use just enough tension, usually just in the midsection to protect my back because when I rip that bar off the ground, I want it to accelerate to the finish. If I'm really tense, if I'm trying to squeeze the pulp out of the bar and I'm contracting every muscle in the body, it's not going to move 
fast and it's going to feel heavier than it should. Now, that's me. Now, someone else may say the opposite. They go, hey, I use that technique. It works really well for me. Great. You fucking figured out what works for you. Don't try to tell everyone else that. Though. This is the mistake a lot of people make. They learn one thing from someone and it works for them. And then they become that annoying person who just tries to sell it to everybody. Like, no, this is what you got to like, do. Like people do with diets, man. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, you should be doing this diet because blah, 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 blah. And they just started it. And, you know, they've seen some improvements on compared to what they were doing before that. But they, ne- they always leave that out. <laughs> they never talk, talk about all the all the crappy things they were doing prior to changing up the way they were eating you know so right. guess what when you, when you spend the majority of your time doing crappy stuff and then if you do one thing that's good then of course you're gonna see some improvement and it's gonna be like oh i never felt like this before with the other thing i was doing because well the other thing you're doing is crappy this is not as crappy so of course it's gonna feel <laughs> of course it's gonna feel like this is like the holy grail. So don't start putting on your collar and your robe and start getting preachy preachy all of a sudden. No, work it for another work it a little bit longer, for a few years, maybe a decade or two. Then come back and then you can talk about it and sing its praises. But then always keep in mind it worked well for you for over a decade. Good for you. Okay. Right. So, so um, happy diet and then they add an apple a day to their diet and <laughs> It's so devoid of nutrition that apple actually makes a perceivable difference to them. And they start thinking, you know, apples are magic. Everybody needs to do this. Now, if I do that, it's not going to make any difference because I have a lot of nutrition and micronutrients in my diet. But for for this person, because they're so depleted that just that one nutrition thing is not addressing all of their problems, but they have a noticeable difference. Because they're in such a depleted state. You can finally you can finally take a crap instead of three every three days. Now you can do it like every day and a half. And all of a sudden you're like, now I'm regular now. It's because you're eating an apple, dude, instead of eating fried chicken from canes, raising canes or whatever else. Come on, man. And you've actually gotten some water in your system because you don't like drink you don't like to drink water because you don't like the taste of it. Now you're getting water, you know, from the apple. Okay, so now you're not as dehydrated as you were before. So just calm down. Calm down. That whole apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, it's going to take a little more than that. Yeah, apple a day may help, but it ain't enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is interesting, though. Like, people definitely get very, very, very um, fanatical about their diets when they find something that works for them. And, and it is – we're all – so we're physiologically and psychologically all pretty different. So there is no – really is no one-size-fits-all diet, you know? Yeah. I mean – it, it's it's weird when you see people that try and preach that there is. It, it, it doesn't usually work out well in the long Even run. Even if it's in the same category, it's going to look different. Like Mike's plant-based diet looks different than mine. Okay, but there's certain things that we that works better for me than it does him. You know, he you know there was a time where I mean he's pretty much a little bit more. I I know it was a time where you were a little bit more focused on fats. Fats worked a lot better for you than carbohydrates, you know, and yeah. then vice versa for me. Sure. When I went high fat, it was good for a minute, you know, for a little while because it was it was a new way of eating for me. So, but then after a while, I was like, uh, it stopped really, I stopped feeling good by doing that. I didn't change from being plant-based. I just had to reduce the fats. I didn't cut fats out entirely. You know, I right. just increased carbohydrates more and I realized my strength game went up. And yep. now it's yep. been well over two years where I've had a high-carb diet and pretty much my performance still continues to get better. And so therefore, yeah. whereas after a year of going high fat, it, you know, I started seeing a decline toward the end of that year. And, and then it really started making me feel bad. So I was like, oh, let me just kind of lay off on that. Now I've actually induced just a little bit more fast 
more than normal lately. But the benefit of that, I'm looking at also seasonal wise. I've also started to realize certain foods, certain ways on my nutrients tend to work better, whatever season it is. When it starts getting when this daylight savings time is over, you know, and I'm and I'm, you know, it's getting darker longer and it's getting toward winter. Then I think my body understands that. Of course, I tend to want more fats. You know, but it, so I increase just a little bit because I also tend to want more bread. <laughs> so I want warm bread. And I think that's more of psychological and nostalgia or whatever else, because it gets cold. Right. You want you think warm bread, you know, you think, and I think soup. Yes. Yeah. So you got to think about all those things. So, again, two plant based dudes over here, but our plant based way of eating looks a little different from each other. It's important that people know different options because I was talking to Namai Delgado. He's this big vegan bodybuilder. He was on the front cover of Muscle and Fitness. Jack, dude, he's, we're going to have him on the show soon. But anyway, we were discussing diet and macronutrients. And I, the problem is everyone keeps saying 80-10-10 is the best. Like, this is the most natural version of the plant-based diet. And it's just it's generally what's going to be the breakdown if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet. Now, that's great. Now, the people who love that are the ones that it works for. So they're out there going, I right. feel great on this. Everyone else is going to feel great on this, too. And the reality is, is everyone's not going to feel great on it for the reasons we already discussed. Some people are going to need more fat, more protein, less carbohydrates. You don't know until you've been doing it for a long time. Also, I've been doing this shit for 25 years, so I don't need some jerk off who just started a year ago to tell me what's going to work. <laughs> you know, I've been doing right. this before you were alive. So let's, let's, let's see you get past the decade mark, and then we can talk about what works, what doesn't. But more for me, it's not so much that a higher carbohydrate intake had a negative impact on performance. It didn't. It had a negative impact on mood. Yeah. And that's, that, and that's, that's the barometer that's really important to me because I'm prone to depression and anxiety and so forth if I don't keep it dialed in. So more fats for hormone production. And it's not like I don't eat carbohydrates. 50% of my diet is from carbohydrates. A lot of people would, would consider that high. All the keto people would consider that a high carbohydrate diet. It's not 80 percent and I don't keep track of macronutrients at this point anyway. I just, oh, yeah, I just, grab, I just I gravitate towards what I feel like. Yeah, exactly. I just grab, if I feel like nuts and seeds, I eat that. If I feel like fruits, I eat that. You know, so some days it is higher carbohydrate and lower fat. Other days it's higher fat, lower carbohydrate. You know, at this point it's more instinctive than anything else. Yeah. But I, but I, I think we, I think we, I think that that's the highest level of dieting. But I, I think for a lot of people that are starting on a health journey, they do need some hand holding and some parameters to at least help them understand what is going to be better for their body, you know? Right. 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 It's, good, it's good to have a strategy in place. Like, okay, here's how you're going to eat. Here are the foods that your daily intake is going to be comprised of. Here's how we're going to break it down. And then we'll modify as we go along. And I, yeah. I like having a, I like it just like with my training. I like having structure. I'm not a guy who just goes to the gym and figures it out. Once I get there, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to do before I get there and boom, 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 get it done. Get out. Every once in a while, you go in and you have a plan, and you realize that plan's not going to work that day. And then you go, you know what? This yeah. is not working. So rather than just trying to be dogmatic, oh, I'm just going to push through it anyway, no matter what. Go, let me just do a paradigm shift. I'm going to do something totally different, just have some fun, and then come back next time, pick up where I left off. So it's good to be able to make those mid-course corrections. But structure, yeah, structure is definitely important for someone. If you just try to leave it up to them to figure it out, that, that's what they've already tried to do. It's not working. You know, that's why they're coming to you. They're not coming for you to tell them, oh, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, there's a level of, of for want of a better word, mastery that comes when you when you pay attention to these things for a few years where you, you can go to the gym and you, you know how to course correct and make those kind of adjustments. And you can do the same thing at the meal table. 
Whereas a lot of people, they then I hate to say it, they're not qualified to do that for themselves yet. You know, they need to they need to spend a little bit of time towing a line and learning the ropes, and then eventually, hopefully, they can fly free and and make those calls for themselves. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've been given a lot of bad advice in that department as well, where people think, okay, if I just stay within a certain calorie threshold, it doesn't matter what it's comprised of. I can, I'm, I'm going to get the results I want. And the reality is, is if you have way more micronutrients in your diet from highly nutritious foods, your caloric intake is naturally going to be lower because you're giving your body what it needs. The more, the, the lower macro and micronutrient intake, overly processed foods and et cetera, the hungrier you're going to continue to be. Yeah. And a lot, of people, a, lot of people, a lot of people have that whole, li- I listen to my body. Well, the news is your body might be a fucking liar sometimes. I was about to say, your body's truthful. You know it is truthful. It is telling you the truth. You just don't know how to interpret the truth. That's the thing about it. Whatever your body's telling you, that's what's going on. But a lot of people don't know. It's not even the body that's lying to them. The freaking mind is lying to them. It's like, oh, man, I'm feeling like crap today. No, you're being lazy. Dude, get up off your ass. So you're looking for an excuse. You don't want to do that. Just say you don't want to do that. Don't sit there and say, oh, I'm feeling like crap. It's like, no. So that, that's, it's not even the body that lies to them. It's the mind, man. The body pretty much tells you what it knows. <laughs> it's just going by, you know, what's happening inside. It doesn't know how to interpret that. That's the brain. The brain is a freaking C-3PO of the whole body. And come on, we watch Star Wars. Would you rely on C-3PO to save the damn galaxy? Really? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he wasn't the strongest rebel in the force, man. So, yeah, get, you got to get a better interpreter. So, so gentlemen, changing tax entirely. I have a question. We have Tito Ortiz and Chuck Liddell coming up. Why? That, there's yeah. a question. Why? A rematch for the ages. I know you guys. I know you guys have been following following the sport since the very, you know, since the very early days. Um, yeah. Let's play a game of pick 'em. Who you guys think is going to take it? Well, yeah, exactly. See, the thing is, he hasn't fought for what eight years. Tito's been active for the last eight years. He only retired recently. And he's and not only has he been active, he's won fights. It's not like he just yeah, lost. And on top fights. of that, on top of that, in my opinion, Tito throughout this journey is taking care of his body and taking care of himself far better than Chuck has. <laughs> That's another thing too. We're kind of just going on that. Chuck has taken a lot of blows to the head, you know, and that that's that's one thing about it. And he kept trying to go no matter what, after taking all those knockouts and all those knockouts, man, those things leave a lasting impression on you. Trust me. Yeah. So I, I, I just, when you start looking at the wear and tear on the body of both of them, Chuck has a lot more wear and tear. Yeah. He, he's tough. He's a tough son of a bitch. However, that's also to his detriment as well. So, and I, I just always saw that Tito was a guy that truly was a little bit more holistic with the way he trained his body when it came to that sport. He took a better, to me, a much smarter approach. And I think that's why he lasted as long as he did. So I got to go with Tito on that one, dude, on this one. I think, I think if Chuck's going to win, he has to go right at him and knock him out. Right at him, man, and get it Nothing over with. Feeling it out and so forth. Chuck's takedown defense, at least when he was fighting, was really good. Tito was never able to take him down. And he he just lit up Tito. He beat him twice, and it was pretty one-sided. I mean, he just lit him up both times. But that was a long time ago. Yeah, and well, we don't don't know what Chuck Liddell is showing up because we haven't seen him fight for a long time. <laughs> right. now, I, know, I, know I, saw, some people, I saw some footage of him hitting pad work and it was 
you know, it didn't inspire great confidence in me. When I yeah, I saw that too. I saw that too. And I, I was like, I don't know. Maybe he's putting this out purposely or something. I don't exactly. know. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. a mental warfare technique. He goes, hey, I'm going to put up this clip where I look like shit hitting the pads. And Tito's going to get over a It could be a good strategy, but I'm not sure I'm buying it. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> if it was someone else, maybe. <laughs> but Chuck, nah. It's my a little crazy because he goes, you know, after I beat Tito, I want to fight John Jones. I go, oh boy. Oh my God. Yeah. You know what? There are far more effective ways of committing suicide <laughs> that can be over a lot sooner. You're not going to last a minute against John Jones. You know, the, the second most dominant fighter in the UFC is Daniel Cormier, and Cormier lost twice to John Jones. <laughs> John Jones. If, if John Jones didn't exist, we would think Cormier is the best ever to, to ever do it. Right. That's how dominant he is. But because Jones is in the picture, we can't say that because Jones is beating Jones Jones is I think Jones is almost flawless in, in I mean he's he's the perfect mixed martial arts fighter, you know. He's not yeah, if he Chuck is. Liddell fights him, if Chuck Liddell fights him, um well it would never happen. But if he did it would be uh, basically one step away from a public execution. <laughs> right. It's too much. It, you you pretty much have to get a lawyer and some cops around because that pretty much would be a murder. Okay. So, John doesn't need John doesn't need that. He doesn't need that on his record right now. Okay. No, <laughs> he's already come close. <laughs> Crazy kid he is. Yeah, that one's that, that is that coming up this weekend or is that next weekend? I think it's this. I think it may be this weekend. Yeah, I think you might be right because next weekend is I think Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving week, at yeah, least. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And then yeah. I think. Well, yeah, I think my my friend. And then we've got the um. What's the one after that? There's BJ Penn versus Ryan Hall. I know that one's on the the next card. Oh, <laughs> another guy that needs to wrap it up, man. Hashtag stay retired. That's the hashtag I'm about to make yeah. famous. Stay retired. <laughs> gotta be hard to walk away from that though. It must. I mean, that's gotta be a. Be, you know. I'm sure Hard, but when you come back and you keep losing, it's, you you got to accept some certain realities. Here's my thing, dude. Here, here's the here's the thing. Once you've been inducted into the Hall of Fame, you you should be no longer allowed to fight. That should be a wrap. <laughs> and that that goes with anything, whether it's whether it's whether it's mixed martial arts or something scripted like the WWE. It's like, dude, once you get inside the Hall of Fame, you're done. You need to find something else. Okay. Otherwise, you need to give give up your spot in the Hall of Fame. You can't have both. You can't be in the Hall of Fame and still be active. You got to give it up. No football players doing that. You know, baseball players doing that. Once you're in, and look how long it takes before they put them in the Hall of Fame. They want to make sure this person's not trying to be active again. Okay, so just it's a wrap, son. That, that's your swan song. That's that should be the epitome of your career right there, as far as an athlete. Then you need to move on to something else. So that isn't that usually the goal for most athletes. Like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go in, get my rings, get these championships, get this belt, blah blah blah, and then you know I'm going to get in the Hall of Fame, and then I'm going to try to come back and then get these rings, get the championship, and get in the Hall of Fame again. No one does that. Like, come on, man, wrap it up. Dude. Do, do the find like a gorilla or something to sell. Yeah, yeah. It's such a heightened level of experience. I'm, I've been to a UFC live and just watching the fighters walk in, I'm nervous for them. You know, I'm not yeah, even exactly, fighting. Because they're there live, you're like, wow, this is really visceral. This is real. You know, when you watch it at home on TV, you're a little bit disconnected. I mean, you know, you know what's happening, but you're disconnected to an extent. You're there, man. You're like, wow, these guys are about to get in that cage and go, go at it. You're, you're and, nervous. And if you're there, and when you're there and you actually hear those, 
you actually hear those those punches connect. Like it's one yeah. thing to hear it on TV with a microphone, but when you're in a if you sit in a nosebleed seat and you hear somebody getting getting their jaw cracked, that's a way <laughs> different experience. You're looking like, wow, you know what? All the dudes that sit in the bar and try to be the armchair, you like, you know, MMA fighter, you need to bring your ass to one of these and realize you're not who you think you are, buddy. You're not the expert that you think you are. That's real. Like, and you say to yourself, like, nah, bro, couldn't be me. I don't think there's a paycheck big enough to make me want to go in there and do this Not more than once. There may be that one time where you're just like hurting for money. Like, you know what? <laughs> we used to say this all the time in high school. Like, you know what? Since Mike Tyson's beating fools in 15 seconds and most of them are taking one punch and they're getting like four million dollars. I might be crazy enough to try that once. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I shit on myself for four million dollars in front of national television <laughs> from getting punched in the face. I do that. But you know what? I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I crapped on myself, but I got millions. I did it one time. But to do that over and over like some of these fighters are doing and if they're going to come back and fight again and take that and the possibility of getting that ass whooping again. Nah, man, I'm good. There are better things I could be doing with my life. Okay, so I'm not going to be sitting there telling, talking about what I would have done or what this fighter should do. Oh, man, you should have done this. Take him down. Take him down. I'm like, no, shut up. <laughs> like, please. When's the last time you got punched in the face? You know, and most of them probably didn't, have probably never been punched in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to do that as a fan if you're watching it at home and you're going, oh, this person should be doing this. You're just having fun. You're watching it. That's one thing. It's much different than if you actually run into that fighter somewhere and you're like, oh, hey, man, I was watching your fight the other day and you know, you need to you need to work on your takedown defense. And, you know, I think <laughs> or the trolls. I see the trolls going on the social media. I'm like, is this idiot really on John Jones' site? Or is he really on Daniel Cormier's site? You know, talking about, yeah, you got lucky this time, man, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? What, yeah, who from, are you? What, from what I gather, that's not an uncommon thing for fighters to run into either. Like the, oh, you know, the, the coach on the line at the grocery store. You know what I mean? Like, well, We've had fighters on the show, and I always ask them that question, and all of them have experiences of just random people. Basically, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's very common. I think that the, the most interesting fight to wrap up this year is going to be John Jones versus Gustafson too. That that one I really want to that's see. That's interesting for sure. Yeah, there's really nothing I'm not, else that I'm not my mind. because if I get invested in it, it'll, something something will go wrong. So, so <laughs> in, in the five years we've done this show, every time there's a John Jones fight involved, and we talk about it on the show, something goes wrong. So this is the out of the five years we've done this show, this is the one time I have nothing. <laughs> That's the only way things are going to go right. I'm shutting the hell up. I have no horse in this race. <laughs> if it happens, this, is, this, is, this is the most compelling matchup this side of Cormier, you know? Because yeah. it really, there really is a good history here. The last fight was really was kind of a pick you know? It was, yeah. You could have easily yeah. argued the other way. It could have gone the other way. Yeah, so yeah. so I'm excited for that one. That one should be should be a doozy. Nunez, that's that's also on that card. I forgot about now, that. That, that's, now, that's that right there is a good fight. That I'm that that should that be a good one. I mean, I would lean towards Cyborg because she's just so dominant. But this is but a real challenge. For I don't think it's gonna be a walk in the park. You know, that's so. Nunez. Long, long she doesn't psych herself out before the fight. You know, about you know who she's fighting. You know, it doesn't get, you know, get caught up in the, like the deer in the headlights like most people. If she just goes in like she normally does, like that could be a damn good fight, right? That could, <laughs> that could make people really think about fight of the year. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> These women right here. I don't Did know. you guys <laughs> see the event, the event the other night, the, um, Korean zombie fight? Yeah, no. I, I saw the highlights. I didn't see the actual, the highlights were oh pretty amazing. 
Yeah. Knockout in, I think, the the last second of the fight was incredible. Yeah, he was, was going to lose that fight. He was dumb. He was losing four rounds to one, I believe, is what they said before that yeah. happened. So that was wild. That's fight yeah. of the year, I think, so far. It's going to be hard to, but I mean, it's still still a month, month or two, month and a half left. Yeah, so. we still have, we still have plenty of time. Yeah, <laughs> there's Brian Ortega, Max Holloway. That's a good one. So there's some there's some good ones coming up. I got to go. I, I am a huge Brian Ortega fan. I think. Yeah, I he's think. great. Yeah. He's great. I really, I, really I, would, it I would lean towards him. You know, Max Holloway's a stud too. I would, I would lean in in Brian Ortega's direction. He's just got such a complete arsenal. It's his time, man. I think it's his time. You know, some athletes have that moment. You can see it coming, and I think it's his time. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, we've seen that too. Where it's like you got this build up, build up. Like, oh man. Then they get there, and it's, it's kind of like like Cub Swanson, you know. There's that, that a good example of that. It's like, yeah. and they get right there, and it's like, what the hell just happened here? You know, you had yeah. this this winning streak. Hell, even Cowboy Cerrone, you know, it's like this that dude should have had a belt by now. <laughs> you know, just one thing can go wrong because in that game, there's nothing guaranteed, man. You can have that right. out of all the off nights. It could be that one night that you wish it was not an off night. The night yeah. where you get fight for the belt, you know. Or you yeah. one fight away from a you know a championship, so it's like ah. It sucks when that happens when the timing's not right. I mean, I, I remember I've had courses that I've taught where leading up to it, my workouts are incredible. I go, man, I feel amazing. I'm going to be strong as fuck when I teach that course. And then maybe the week or two before or something, you, you either get an injury or you get into an overtrained state, and then you're just totally flat. <laughs> Going into that, you're like, oh man, if this happened two weeks. ago, Go. This would have been would have just been flying through this. Dude, performance anxiety is real. We have it. We have. I have shows like that. I step on stage and I'm like, I'm like, all right, what am I going to have for for dinner after the show? And I'm then you, you just don't get in that mindset. You know, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. You really can't control it. And then other times it's transcendent, and you're like, you're, you're the greatest dude in the world. You know, just yeah. Time is an time is an amazing thing because I've taught courses where. I mean, it flies by, right? Eight hours, boom. You're like, wow, I just taught four things. We're halfway through the day. Better wrap this up. Better keep this thing going. And then there's other days, other courses I taught where, I mean, you're talking and talking and talking and you're you're demonstrating, demonstrating, and you look at the clock and you're an hour in. You're like, what? <laughs> I would have thought it would be lunchtime by now. It's only 10 o'clock and we started at 9. It's like, damn. <laughs> Are you guys, are you doing are you guys doing any more courses? I'm not I'm not I'm not officially done, but I haven't taught one in a long time. I don't really have any plans right now. I don't think I would do kettlebell courses if I were going to get back out there. It would be more along the lines of hormone optimization lectures, workshops, one day extensives where you just go into a lot of detail. But honestly, even with with technology these days, I could do that via a online course one time. Like I've already did with like I did many years ago with my eight hour hormone optimization lecture series. I could do something that's an extension of that, record it, MP3, sell it all day long, all over the world. So it's it's a different time. Yes, like, yes, there's something nice about being there in person as a presenter and people taking it, but in the day and age we're in right now, it's different. I'd rather watch a lecture on I'd rather watch a lecture on my big screen, honestly then go attend it live because on my big screen, I can pause it. I can take notes. If I get burned out, I can just take a break, come back later. So it's, I don't know. I think if you want to do it, you should do it. 
I'm not really, I don't, I'm not really feeling it right now. So until I do, until I do feel it, there's no point putting myself out there. That makes sense. Maybe there'll be a Bali invitation or something. Teach <laughs> a kettlebell workshop in Bali. Maybe that won't get you out of that. that, that if, if it were going to be something, it would be something like that. Like, okay, we want you to come out to India and yeah. teach here on this beach resort for two days. It, it would have to be something compelling You're like that. Like, yeah, you're right. A country I've never been to before or some kind of unique experience. No, that would be cool. But those things happen when you're putting yourself out there. They don't generally happen when you when you're not putting yourself out there. So because no one knows what if if you're not teaching any courses, then people just assume you're not teaching any courses. So they're not necessarily going to contact you and say, hey, we got this great opportunity for you. You know, when I was teaching a show from Bali or India and you have a resort and you want someone to come teach kettlebells. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. When I was traveling a lot overseas, a lot of opportunities came up because people would see you overseas. You would. Like, oh, hey, I see you're teaching a course in Sydney. Why not come to Melbourne, too, while you're down here? Cool. It's like, hey, you want to come to Singapore? We see you're going to be there. How about New Zealand? Now, things like that would happen, but it's only happening because you're out there. So right. if, you, if you're not out there traveling, teaching courses, no one, no one, you're not on anyone's radar for them to think. I remember I taught one course in London. I mean, the, the floodgates opened all over the U.K. People were going, hey, how about coming to this gym? How about that gym? How about Scotland? How about Ireland? How about Barcelona? You know, those kind of things would happen. So it's you know, for people who want to teach a lot of international courses, you got to get that first one down. You know, get do whatever it takes to get one in the bank, and then see what happens from that. And then do whatever it takes to get two in the bank, and then eventually people realize, okay, this this person's out there because a lot of Americans don't travel overseas. They don't put themselves out there. So when when you go overseas and teach a course, it's a it's a big deal generally for wherever you're going because not a lot of people are coming through there. Yeah, see that hardcore bands, right? You have way bigger shows overseas than in America. Oh, dude, yeah, that's where that's where we make the 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 gravy. You know, is 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 that's why we're still a band. I mean, that we get to go overseas. I mean, the USA certainly. There's places where it's really good, but we couldn't sustain ourselves on the United States alone. None of our bands, none of our bands, none of the bands that we. Imagine, imagine if Madball never went overseas. They only taught in the U.S. Everybody would have a side. I'd say I'd say that was, that's pretty much pretty much for any of our bands from from you know, and by our bands I mean you know the Agnostic Fronts, the Chromags, Sick of It All, Madball, us, um, right. any of any of our, our bands like it's all overseas like that's where we really get the most love like we do you know the US the US has some spots some hot spots that are a lot of fun but you can't do them that often I mean. I hate to say it, we're not the cool bands anymore, you know, over here. Like, it's it's moved on now. It's a different time. Yeah. Yeah. But even bands that have a huge presence, 30 million views on YouTube, they, they have a hard time filling up a club often yeah, in Vegas. It's hard to translate it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there just seems to be a different musical culture in, I mean, in Europe and for us, South America is really strong and, and, you know, certain parts of Asia that, you know, the USA just seems to have be a little bit, I'm not going to say trend driven, but definitely seems to be like that people don't stick with the music over the long haul. Right. Well, they're not trained to because they, they still listen to traditional radio and they're, they're taught to listen to those same 10 songs that radio tells them. These are the hits you like. 
Okay. And they're like, oh, okay. I like these songs. I don't like that song, but they find themselves singing it and then they're stuck on it. And so, and then if you leave them to their own free will, if they get something like Spotify and try to discover new music, a lot of times they start where they left off. So basically they get on something like an Apple music or Spotify looking for songs that they just listen to on traditional radio, which is hardly. So basically they're going to get referred the same regular pop superstars that they hear on radio anyway and anyone related to them. So they're not really being introduced to anything new. So you kind of have to be a rebel and just go on those type of platforms and just really just kind of go out there. Or you get something like Shazam. So if you're out and about and you hear something like, wow, what is that? You Shazam it and you see who the artist is. You add it to your Spotify. Then it starts to open up a whole new world of things. And next thing you know, you've got a very vast playlist going on and you start discovering different music. And so then you hear something you know, or even something you hear in a movie and you Shazam that and you like it or whatever. And then they might introduce them. You might be trying to pull up something like, I don't know, man, like, I don't know. Just five finger death punch or something like that. Next thing you know, you're going on here to code orange. And then next thing you know, get to H2O and you're like, Oh, you discover these guys that way. So now it becomes something very organic, which is how it used to be anyway. Cause the only yeah. other way that a lot of people were able to, Hear new music was, you know, other than discovering it on their own organically was through the DJ, you know, who was out and about, you know, or, or through the nightclubs that was giving bands a chance. They weren't trying to book the big, you know, book the big bands or whatever else. They were giving guys who were new a chance and they had these little venues and it was very intimate. And, and the fans, these new fans got to actually meet these guys afterwards and get to know them and they went out and spread the word. So they did the job that DJs did in the other clubs. The people went out like, Hey man, I saw this cool band. So these guys, H2O, whatever, you got to check them out. And so people are going to listen to their friends because you, you tend to hang around people who are like-minded, you know, just as you are. So that's how you build that base up. And guess what? It also took time. It took time for that to build. Whereas now, pretty much in America, everything's so instant. You know, everybody has to be this instant pop star. You know, and that's the reason why so many are going on these reality shows now to try to get a contract right then and there, you know, through that. So basically... For them, the long process is trying to survive 16 weeks on a reality show and, you know, and not get booted off and then finally get signed. But then where are these people now? You know, majority. Some of these shows have been on for damn near 15, 20 years now. You know, but yeah. where out of all those 20 artists that have won those seasons, you may remember two or three that stood out. You and generally, it's the first, the first couple seasons, right? So American Idol, you have Carrie Underwood, who's a huge star. Someone yeah, like Stuttered. You know, something like that. He just, he, he was just, he used the platform pretty effectively because he didn't win the season he was on, but he went on to have a really good career and he's still out there. He's not playing stadium or anything like that, but he's, he's doing it for a living. He's he's not a side hustle. So that's a success. I I would say winning, winning one of those shows may almost be a double edged sword because I'm sure whatever contract, I'm sure whatever record contract the winner gets to sign. Probably isn't the most artist-friendly record contract that was ever written. Well, look at the labels they were signing with. You know, it's just like, come on, you, you're dealing with people like Clive Davis and those guys who have been in the yeah. game, who are notorious <clears throat> for you know I mean, some of the I, some some questionable practices at you know during their time with major artists who are way yeah. bigger than from the Whitney I'm, Houston's I'm, of the world on. So you got to think I'm about sure that. A large percentage of of whatever record sales you you get from that show end up in Simon Cowell and whoever's pocket anyway, you know. So I think maybe not winning and then going off and doing it by yourself might be the real win. Well, it, it, it's pretty much like the it's like the Oscars. <laughs> you know, you sit there, look at so many people who won Oscars and what happened in their career after they won that Oscar. 
Well, a lot of them, unless you're Daniel Day Lewis, you know, Meryl Streep is like, where are these people now? How many Oscars did they won after they won that first one? A lot of them did not repeat. Okay. Or they, it may have taken them another 20, 30 years before they got another Oscar. You know, it, it's too much. Denzel, it took about 30, it took about 20 years, 25 years before Denzel got another Oscar, dude. <laughs> you know, it took a minute. You know, De Niro as well. So it's just like, just cause you get that thing doesn't mean the automatic success after that. It doesn't mean like once you get that award, you know, everything's gonna, everybody's gonna come knocking at your door. It may be that way for about, I don't know, two movies. <laughs> let's, let's admit it. After Halle Berry got her Oscar, all her movies are crap after that. Pretty much all her, all her movies are crap pretty much before that. She's like the worst storm ever. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, come on, they should have really thought that out, man. So, well, the, the other thing, Jim Quarantine, like that podcast I was mentioning, he, he does these rants, the comedian. He made a joke about De Niro because all these actors and famous people are putting their I voted stickers on and so forth. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, why should I listen to Robert De Niro? He's like, you haven't made a good movie in 20 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was, I was like, I heard that because he's made some good movies, but not recently. I mean, Heat is the right. last movie that I could think of that he ever did. And that was 1996 or so. <laughs> the well over. I, I gotta, I gotta give him credit for me. I thought the Meet the Parents movies were pretty, were funny, but that it, it's, but, you know. Before, for an actor but they weren't house. necessarily his movie. You know, you still give that movie to Ben Stiller. It's still Ben Stiller's <laughs> franchise. <laughs> because his performance was such a standout. I mean, Heat, De Niro, and if if anyone were in that movie besides Pacino and De Niro, it wouldn't have been the same because those two were so impactful in that movie. I mean, the coffee shop scene is ama- is is famous, and I remember reading a book about how. Everyone that was on site during that scene was just mesmerized. I could just imagine how intense it was. So that kind of movie magic, it's, it's rare that you experience that where you're watching a movie and you're just sucked in and nothing else. You're not thinking about anything else. Like this movie is so good. Yeah. It's just pulling you in where you're just, you're just mesmerized by this performance that's happening. Most movies, you're slightly entertained. You're probably thinking about what you're going to be doing after, for the most part. <laughs> you're probably thinking or, you're about- a, or you're watching the scene like, all right, man, hurry up. Hurry up. This is taking too long. Come on, speed it up. <laughs> look, man, as much as I love Venom as a kid, you know, reading the comic or whatever, like the first part of it, I was kind of like, come on, man. Especially when you've read the comic, I was like, come on, speed this up. I know there's a lot of people that have never read the comic, and I know you're catering to them right now, but <laughs> we're the ones that's going to help this franchise continue. Like, come on, rap, come on, get to the point, man. Chop, chop. <laughs> when are you going to get to Carnage? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, 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 I vote, when it comes to movies, I vote with my dollars. Like, the minute I saw the Venom trailer, I was like, fuck no, you're not getting a penny of my money. And then uh, the, the same with Solo. I was like, oh, no, Solo. Get- it's funny. I'm a Star Wars fan. I did not go see that. It was like, yeah. I, I was like, nah, bro. First of all, I looked at who they cast as Han Solo. I was like, you lost me right there. Look, you did a good job casting Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. That was spot on. I said, that, that that goes right into it. But who is this dude playing Han Solo? I said, there's nothing about this. Like, I don't expect him to be Harrison Ford Jr., okay? But... There was nothing but this dude looked like he was like a deer in headlights. Like it, it looked like he'd never even watched one Star Wars movie in his life. <laughs> just like got some random dude. It's like, hey, you want to be in a movie? Uh, sure. It's called Solo. Oh, I'm the only one? No, idiot. It's, it's based on Han Not Solo. Not the Mario Van Peebles <laughs> Solo. The other. Oh, no. <laughs> the other Solo. But it's like it's you don't need to tell that story. Han Solo showed up on Mos Eisley and died at Starkiller Base. That's perfect. <laughs> 
don't tell us, <laughs> don't give a shit what happened before that. You know what I mean? Like, don't <laughs> explain the character. It's fine. He pretty much told one story in all the other franchises. We already know that he owed Jabba money. We already know that he was a pirate. We already know that he was a swindler. You know, we already lost, we already know he lost his ship, you know, in a, in a freaking poker match or whatever with Lando Calrissian. And Land- there was Lando's ship. We already know all this stuff. So what is it left for us to sit and know about this dude? <laughs> okay. We know he bonked, you know, he boinked Princess Leia, who was kissing her brother in one movie, and and he looked a little disgusted. <laughs> it's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel they oh, didn't think that one all the way through. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he, was, he was making up the story as he went along. He didn't have this exactly. whole thing planned out. You know? like, yeah. it, it the whole storyline of Darth Vader as Luke's father, that he didn't have that from Inception. That's something he was still <laughs> deliberating. It, even when he wrote it. He's like, okay, is that the direction we're gonna go or not? He he was deliberating that for a while. So, somewhere there was there was some dude that just left the Maury Povich show. Like, dude, that that shit will work. Somebody, you should try the whole that fraternity thing. That always works, man. People want to see that. Try, somebody, you know George Lucas. Oh yes, he had a black girlfriend at the time. She's probably like, nah, baby, go ahead and write that in. That'll work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So some of, some of, like some of these movies have just gigantic plot holes that do not survive the test of time. Like Darth Vader is hanging out with Princess Leia and never realizes it's his daughter. Right. You know, like, right. like, like, come on, like, it's, it's, you know, no instinct whatsoever. Yeah, he's looking at her face, which should look like his, given that yeah. he's. <laughs> well, how you look? Yeah. Let's just, let's just let's remember one thing. This dude has the power of the Force. You're supposed to already know this, bro. So actually, obviously, <laughs> obviously, you were sold a bill of goods. You got duped, okay? <laughs> you so yeah, your your instincts. You are the only people in the universe that know this is that you two are, that Luke and Leia are related is Ben Kenobi and Luke's un, you know uncle and and aunt. Really? <laughs> They're the only other people. No one else knows this. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bugged out. Well, fellas, I gotta get out of here. Yep. I have duties that need to be dutifully done. Sounds good, um, man. Gentlemen, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed talking with yeah. you guys today. Yeah, man, it's great. Always great having you on. And so H two is wrapped up. H two O is wrapped up for this year. I'm sure we you'll be done for 2019, uh, 2018. 2019 is our 25th anniversary, and oh, like cool. pretty much all right. all bands will be sure to you know celebrate that on the road all over the place. So um, very cool. Look forward to seeing you guys at some concerts. Yeah, man. I hope so. Hope to, hope to catch up with you guys, with you in person at some point, maybe in Los Angeles, or if you guys come through Vegas, that would be great. Dude, I hope so. It'd be awesome. Sounds good, that. man. Yeah. Alrighty, great. You have a great right. rest of the day. You take care. Thank you. See you guys. We'll chat soon. Okay. Bye. That's good. Sure, man. Yeah. I and mean, I don't have anything else to say either. <laughs> You know, we've been talking for a while here, so we can just wrap up all together. How about that? Exactly. So, y'all know what to do. You know the website. You know the coupon code, LLA. So, um, you know the Patreon, patreon.com slash LLA podcast. You know the social media. I don't have to tell you. You know where to share it. Make make social media great again. So, instead of focusing on you, focus on us and share us with the world. So, that's what you can do with your post. So, that's how you do good on social media. So other than that, man, that's it. I've got nothing. I got nothing. You take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care, folks. (laughs) Take care.